recording to see how my MacBook microphone is mm -hmm. for the thing. So let me listen to that really quick. I think, uh, where does it record stuff to? Great, I don't know. Here is uh, one last reminder to the players. One of the most convenient questions that you can ask is, well, first of all, you should be willing to ask anything. Can I do this? How, what is this like? Like, just if it's in your mind and you're imagining it, just ask. I got the question. Can my character, because I have wings, can I fly? The short answer is, yeah. Um, but the long answer is, I always want people to ask because sometimes you can get away with some cool stuff that maybe isn't written into the actual like, handbook itself because that's how D&D works and it makes it great. Um, but when it comes to everything else, we will find ways to make sure that the universe is balanced enough for fun while providing all the cool moments that I'm sure you dreamed of when you created your characters. Uh, can I that listen now? Thing yeah, let's do it. Parties able to do in universe and have some really cool uh, things that you'll be able to do as a party. So awesome. I, I think I'm done. I think I'm set up. Okay, it's not great, but we need to be sure that we all, like, enunciate. Um, Project to enunciate. And it's not vital. Like, if it doesn't work for a little bit, that's only for stream, so it is, like, not important. Um, this one will be a much better recording, and this will be the one that goes on, like, mix panel that is mix cloud? Mix cloud. Um, where the, like, official recordings are. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, it's still going then. That's, that's good. Great. And then the last, the last helpful reminder. Can I lock reminder. your phone? Yeah. I just didn't know if that would stop the recording yeah. if I lock it. So, so two universal rules of the of the of the universe uh, that will be helpful to you as players. Number one, as long as it does not just irrevocably or, or irreparably change my universe, you can make things up. You can say. Oh, I now remember that I have a brother that lives here in this town. We should go and visit him. Great! I love that. I'll be like, yeah, let's see what he's up to. And then we'll go and meet them, and you'll have to describe to me what they look like. But, like, that's great. It's okay to do that. Just because I created the, the, the foundations of the universe does not mean you can put things into it. That's number one. And number two, it is very helpful to ask things like, what does my character know about this? Hey, so what does my character know about these people? That's an opportunity, if you want to learn more about the area, for me to say, well, here's what you would know. If I have a reason, maybe why your character's not supposed to know this stuff yet, I'll say, you don't know anything about that. Go find out, go learn, ask people, right? Like, read, read a book, uh, I don't know. Um, there are different ways to learn things. And uh, the third option might be, I don't know either. Um, so we'll just, we'll see. Um, we have only discussed that this will start in, actually, I'm, I'm ready to, we're rolling. Are we rolling? No, not yet. Okay. I'm ready to go. Everything else I'm, I'm about to say is really just for universe. But remember those two things. Put things in my universe and ask things about my universe. Our universe, truly, frankly, because I want to make it easy for you to get creative. That's the idea. Brilliant. Very, very creative with, with these things. Uh, what YouTube account do you want Twitch streams to oh. save to. Oh, I didn't even know something you could do. Just uh, my personal Gmail, and we'll figure it out later. I don't think I use it for anything else. To so just brief overview about yeah. the spell. So, uh, 
someone who has a cantrip has no other spells has one yep. spell slot a cantrip takes half of that spell yep. slot and we can cast any other spell that we find in world yep. up to that level yep. okay. yeah really all so for uh I, I said this at one point but i'll make sure everyone's clear on this if you have a spell in your inventory um don't get attached to it it's just a stone that you're carrying in your possession that is different. That is different from 5e. Um, so you're like, oh, I learned a spell. Well, you're holding that spell. Um, I will I will tease that there might be more substantial ways to learn spells, but that is considered really powerful magic. And for now, you have simply found these stones and you're holding them. Which also, thank you, um, which also means that if you want to trade it and get something new, you can totally do that. You can just have a new spell tomorrow if you trade it with someone. That is very different from 5e, and hopefully will be a really interesting part of this campaign, especially for our two merchanting classes here, uh, or archetypes here. Um, yeah, so, good question. We're good minors. Question. Even though we're adults. Yeah, and just remind, like, one thing we are not doing today, but can do for the future, in fact, will do in a certain way that I have in mind, is have your stones on, like, little tiny one-by-one cards in front of you, so you can literally just like hand them to each other. I want to give the monk this spell. Okay, now you're holding it, so you can use it. So it'll feel more like you're playing. It'll it'll feel more like you're playing like a very pseudo card game kind of thing, where you're like, I'm gonna use the spell, and then you just use one of your charges, and you can you can just like swap. You can throw rocks at. I mean, you can they're rocks, right? You can throw them at each other and cast spells that way. Um, Sick. Yeah. I look just go. Th- just think about it. There are options here. You can literally pickpocket some dude's stone and then immediately cast it as long as you have charges available and you're yeah. of a high enough spell caster to cast Emerald it. Emerald I mean, it could happen. So, Emerald. Um, I didn't steal that. <laughs> my last thing Sick. for streaming, if you're leaning forward, right now you're blocking Hannah. Like, like, this like entirely. Oh, like she's got no other camera for her? Yes. Yeah. How far back do I, like, how's this? Uh, you're, you're still here. blocking her. Wow. Okay, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. Yeah, if you're right there, I'm loud enough, it's fine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just don't be excited. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I'll try. Uh, question <laughs> about this. You yeah. can't see the cool lanterns that we've put up. Never you. Well. Okay, I hit, hey. I simply wanted to... We can change to, it later I now. wanted to point it out so you could see setup. it. I just All wanted right, you to know. But also, I don't know, I feel like I want more face. I agree. I also think seeing the table might be important. Eventually. All in good okay, time. All, right, all, right. all in good time. Okay, right. three, two, one. Hello, hello! This is Nathan, your Dungeon Master. We are here at a table to have the very first session of Weave of the Nine Stone. It's going to be an eight-session campaign with these lovely players. Say hello! Hi! Hi. Let's actually meet the people that are here at the table before we meet the characters here at the table. Since many of you have not met each other's characters yet, let's just go around, uh, like, if if you want to be like, hey, what's up, and just give your character name, that's fine. Um, uh, but we'll, we'll get into the details of, uh, of what what actually has happened to your characters in a second. So, right here, we'll just go around. Hi, I'm Hannah, and I'll play, be playing Uyanga. I'm Ayla, I'll be playing Aerie. I'm Justin, I'll be playing Cypress. Hi, I'm Claire. I'll be playing Lupin. I'm Logan. I'm playing Aegon. I'm Annie, and I'll be playing Axios. Ooh, and so I'm Nathan, and I'll be playing everyone else. 
Um, uh, although, truly, what will make this universe interesting is how many distinct backgrounds that are being brought to the table um, for this particular party. And so we are going to first set the stage and talk about this very special homebrew universe that this world is taking place in. So, as I am sort of setting the scene, we are going to jump through a celestial space down into a completely undiscovered land, a world which we will refer to as Chrysalis. Chrysalis is a single massive continent that spans in a an ocean of endless depths in every other direction. In the north, mountains, snow, ice, and crags, and at the bottom, deserts and stormy winds. But somewhere in this continent, there are eight nations, each that are built upon something very precious in this universe. I don't know if we can see them here. Gemstones. Let me pick one up. <laughs> Gemstones are the special sauce in this universe because the one unique thing about these gemstones is that they are the only source of magic in the entire universe. In fact, people don't learn spells like they do in other worlds. People exclusively mine for, weave from, and cast spells using these spellstones, which act simultaneously as their focus to cast the spells, but also as the most powerful form of bartering, because he or she that owns the largest gems owns the world. And so let's look at the eight nations that are built upon these particular gemstones. A quick summary, because our characters aren't that educated. They don't know too much about these nations. What we have are eight nations that are built upon, frankly, the eight schools of magic. Because in this world, every single school of magic is tied to a type of gemstone. The eight gemstones are exclusively how you get that magic. And, kind of like on Earth, those gemstones can be found in particular concentrations of deposits in different parts of the world. So. The Sapphire Scholars, the Ruby Empire, Amethyst Kingdom, the Topaz Tribes, the Diamond Sages, the Opal Refuge, the Emerald Egalitary, and the Black Jade Lords all live in some kind of self-sustenance using their own means with their own problems. But there may be rumors of something more, a ninth stone that has the potential to undo centuries of power struggles, of work, to create a world that is ripe for some kind of change. And so, let us go ahead and enter the world of these six characters as we jump straight down into the universe, and as I lift this map here, we see the world the way that it is. The Scholars, the Amethyst Kingdom, Topaz Tribes, all along the coast and in the highlands here, the Ruby Empire on a red rock plateau. We have the Opal Refuge somewhere hidden safely away in this massive rainforest. We have the Diamond Sages up in a remote mountainy landscape, the Emerald Egalitary, a farming suburban paradise, and the Black Jade Lords in an ashen and barren landscape. But we are going to go right here to the Celestial Conservatory. The land of the Sapphire Scholars is made up of three conservatories to be specific. These conservatories are the Solar, Lunar, and Celestial 
conservatories. All three have a headmaster, and the three headmasters report to the Library of Evolution, a tightly guarded safe haven of some of the most advanced technology, research, or magic. And there, the four council members, the three headmasters and someone called the Truth Keeper, the four of them make all the, the shots. They call all the shots about what happens within the regions of the Sapphire Scholar and all of the dozens and hundreds of tiny towns and settlements that are in the nation. The Celestial Conservatory might be seen as a bit of the, the odd one in the bunch. The Celestial Conservatory, typically known for research or types of uh, magic that are less orthodox, that focus mainly on the connection between the magic users and the, their celestial beings. Some of the gods that run the, the show behind the scenes in this universe, but also with the forms of magic that are persistent in the gemstones themselves. And these professors may be different from what you expect, but we'll learn more about them in a second. Let's go ahead and enter. As you walk down this stone cobbled quarry pathway, you see that there are constellations that are inlaid in this smooth granite surface. Different figures, some humanoid, some not, some beasts, some fae, as all of these figures feel like they glimmer, like they are reflecting the sun as you're walking into the courtyard for what will be your first day of classes. Now, all of you are here for different reasons, but as you walk into the courtyard, there are about 80 or so other students that are there standing, mingling, talking to one another, trying to get a feel for what their time at the conservatory will be. This conservatory, of course, has a three-year structure where at the end of the third year, depending on your specialization, you can receive your degree or diploma and finally be able to do your research or return to your homes, much like how college works on Earth. But in this case, of course, what they're studying have varying degrees of extremity, especially those who are practicing celestial magics. Let's go to our party as they are standing in the courtyard and hear a voice. <clears throat> if I may have all of your attention, please. Everyone in the courtyard stands at attention. And they look to the side and on a sort of a raised walkway, a second story that uh, is adjacent to many of the classrooms or professor's offices, there's an overhang with a little jut-out area over which you actually see that there is uh, what essentially looks like a baby, I don't know if you've seen like a mobile, a mobile, but it's like all the little stars that are hanging down, except these are sort of rotating in place, levitating by, of course, some kind of magic. And underneath it, with a glint, a glimmer in her eye, and a long, flowing, soft and silky magician's robe, is Headmaster Zagria. She is a golden dragonborn, a race that you would not normally see in this area, but she carries herself with a form of dignity and compassion. She seems to be excited just by looking at the group of students in front of her. And this is what she looks like. Hi. There you go. Headmaster Zagria stands, and everyone else at attention. Mm. 
most of the people in the audience seem to be respectful of her words. Maybe others are a little jittery and are continuing to talk as people hush them down as she begins to speak. <clears throat> May I have everyone's attention? Welcome, all of you. Every single student here has a purpose. And what we believe at the Celestial Conservatory is that it is not for us to judge or to decide what that journey will be. You'll find that your time here at the Conservatory is not necessarily as guided or rigorous as you may see at other conservatories. While other conservatories might mock their rigor as a sign of excellence, we believe that it provides a space for the organic nurturing and growth of your skills, your dreams, and your relationship with the future. Our greatest scholars work tirelessly trying to understand what the stars, ha what the stars have in store for each of you. But I can assure you that we also like to have some fun here too. So, on behalf of all of the researchers and your professors here at the Celestial Conservatory, I, Headmaster Zagria, welcome you. You will find that in your dormitories there will be plenty of refreshments to get you started. There will be minglers here in the courtyard in just about an hour, but make yourselves at home. Do find me and say hello if you ever get the chance. And I welcome you to the Celestial Conservatory. And there's a flick of her wrist as little comets, just tiny, tiny little comets, just sort of like sprout from her hands, and they just like make a little, like a little, like a, like a visual pyro effect. Um, and you do notice as well as you are clapping that others just kind of give a very sort of a polite clap. But you can already tell that the energy in this group of people is excitable and perhaps unpredictable. You do notice that there are certain people of a variety of races. You would know that in this region that, mostly speaking, you would expect humanoid-like figures. You would expect things like humans and halflings, maybe a couple dwarves in the northern regions, and certainly some of the sea folk, like Tritons or Atlanteans. Those would be more over on the western coast. But for all of you, you notice that there's many others. You notice some orcs, you notice goliaths, you notice that there are lizard folk, that there are dragonborn, that this place seems very diverse by what you would have expected if you were to, for example, look at a postcard from the other conservatories. But instead here, you feel like there's all sorts of interesting things going on and no idea where to go next. That's when another voice pipes up from the same perch that Headmaster Zagreb used. This professor, he has long, thin black hair and very pale skin. His ears are slightly elongated but curved at the tip, and he looks at all of you with eyes that almost seem to have a white glow to them. He towers over the rest of you, not only on the second story, but he himself must be at least six foot ten. A taller, slender man. He also wears a silk robe much like Headmaster Zagreus, although his decisively not as soft-looking. And as he stands, he looms, and he says, Well, this is a mighty fine bunch of students if I've seen them. 
But I challenge you to think about what your journey here will truly be like. This is a space where you're awarded much more freedom than the other campuses, and as such, you would be wise to use your time here well. The world's changing, as you know. There are nations at war. There are conflicts both within and without. And there are powerful magics that have yet to be discovered, or uses of magic yet to be unleashed. We are not simply raising you to be intellectual individuals as the others. We want you to find your purpose and seize the stars. This is your chance. So I have an exercise for all of you. And immediately in front of all of your hands appears a crystal orb. All of you grasp it and hold it. It almost floats in place until you were to lay your hand on it and then it falls inside of your hand, weighing a couple pounds. This crystal orb is going to allow you the opportunity to think about what brought you here to this place. For those of you who may have forgotten, you only have so much time to seize your stars. So what stars do you seek? Are you here for riches and wealth, for fame and notoriety, for power, for its own regard? We are not here to tell you which is right and wrong, but we are here to ensure that you make the most of your time here, that you will grow to seize those means. Look deeply, gaze into your orbs, and remember which stars are yours to seize. As all of you begin leaning forward and staring into these crystal orbs, lights begin to glow. If you look closely enough, you actually see that there are very, very small galaxies captured in this crystal orb. Lights flicker between them like a rhythm, like they're passing a light between them. And the closer you look, the closer you fall into an almost dizzying out-of-body trance. And finally, you're pulled into your own mind. We'll pause right here. We are going to now enter a special time only for the pilot episode in which we will get to learn about every single one of our players, their characters, and why they are here in the first place as we live out their introductions. Um, each of these is going to last between 15 and 30 minutes. I wish I could gauge them more properly, but some of you gave me um, a few ideas and some of you gave me a book of ideas. Um, and so we are going to manifest those as best as we can, keeping an eye on the time here. So, um, as I have done in every one of my campaigns, and because I want to ensure that there is no particular order or importance to any of our player characters, we will naturally roll to see who we will introduce <laughs> first. So, uh, if I can get the, the die tower right here. I will roll in front of the table. In fact, oh, how convenient, I saved a d6, which means I don't have to do math. <laughs> what? Going around the table, Hannah will be first, Annie will be last. One through six. Good luck. It's okay, the first will be last. Number two. We will learn about Aerie. Aerie, your mind is brought back to a time that you wish you could forget. 
But if we're really thinking about purpose, if we are really thinking about stars, we have to go back to Crya. And we have to go back to the day your father introduced you to the council we would serve. Crya is, of course, as you know, a city that is on the outskirts of the Amethyst Kingdom, a very rich mercantile city. The people there, much in the way of trade, even more so than the cities closer to Abgardia, the capital of the Amethyst Kingdom, because these people deal a lot more with trade with the Emerald Egalitary, even some with the Opal Refuge, and finally with the Ruby Empire. There is no customer that someone in Crya will not serve for their own needs. As we look into the city, imagine tall, almost German architecture with all these cobblestone streets that wave up and down. That's a hilly city, for that matter. Probably has several thousand citizens in it. But at the top of the hill is a nice, multi-story, um, sort of uh, stony palace. Or not really a palace, more like a courthouse, where the most important officials meet. And as we are zooming into this area, as our feet and the horses and the carriages sort of uh, a cobble along on the stones there, you hear the noises of uh, merchants that are barking at passers-by, caravans coming into town, gold changing hands and people haggling prices up and down. And we see uh, a, a young woman, a teenage girl, that is walking with her father, Toril. I am pronouncing that right. Toril? Toril? Cool. So, um, Eredith, why don't you go ahead and describe who you are currently? So, Erithil. Erithil, uh, thank you. Sorry. Erithil goes by Eri now. She's a small female high elf. Um, first thing most people notice about her are her eyes, which are brilliant gold, um, matched very similarly to her hair. She wears a braid over her shoulder. Um, she, at that time, I guess I can show the picture now, um, looks very much like this. She obviously uh, kind of carries herself with a noble kind of grace. Um, currently in, in uh, maybe not the flashback time, but as you would know her, um, she looks a lot more like this. Uh, dresses in dark adventuring gear with a um, dark brown or black hood and a mask over her face. Um, but she always carries this choker uh, with an amethyst um, and an ivy kind of wrapping around it. I actually love that. I love that we know that. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll save that. And uh, yeah. at the time, you were walking with your father and your brother, Endor. Um, the three of you have, uh, have been asked by, the two of you have been asked by your father to accompany him to an important meeting. Something that has never really happened before. As, as uh, Ari goodness, Arithel is coming of age, she has had plenty of opportunities to study the markets, the streets, the peoples, not just the high class, much like herself as a high elf, but even those who make do on a penny here and there. Those that are able to find quick side hustles to help keep themselves afloat, that are the working class of the city. She's walking to the, uh, uh, the courthouse and we will just enter as your father is speaking with you. Um, this man, of course, like many high elves, has a very upright posture. Um, he has darkened hair that is only about to the ear, a little longer than most, I guess, male, traditional male haircuts. 
but is very finely kept. Um, it's clear that he has a regimen that he uses to both take care of his personal demeanor, his face, his ears, his hair, his eyes. And what you notice underneath is that there is sort of a, a sort of purplish hue to his skin and to his irises. He is walking up the court steps with you, and he looks down at you. He's pretty tall himself at around six feet. And he says, Oh, Erethel, today I've got something very exciting for you. Now tell me, um, what was it that you got to learn last week as you were working with your mother? Well, um, we did a little bit of magic study, of course, um, some language studies as usual, but we did a lot of exploring in the city. And I, I got to see the people as they were, um, just being themselves and doing what makes Kraya so successful and so wonderful to be a part of. You notice his brows furrow. He almost looks perplexed by your statement and he responds, and what exactly is it that makes Kraya successful, would you say? Well, we're a very powerful merchant in the city. <laughs> of course. The life and? blood of the amethyst flows through us. Mm -hmm. we, we certainly have an important place in this world, and it is the people that I believe that have brought us to this position that allow people like our family to thrive. He pauses, you hear as his walking cane strikes against every single cobblestone going up. The stone changes in its timber to the sound of it hitting marble as you now reach the steps. He pauses and he says, Everfil, I have a question for you. If you could change one thing about this place to make it even greater than it truly was, what would you do? Can I roll an insight check? Feel free. Insight's not as good as I thought it was. Oh, that's a four. Um, I believe that while this city is wonderful for people like us, um, offers so many great opportunities. I think that it would be a nice change to allow others, maybe even outsiders from Praia, to realize those same opportunities, to raise them to the same success and power that we've accomplished. And what would you have us do for them? Feed them? Bathe them? Would you want to put them up in your room as well, I suppose? No. How many people would it take before Kraya could be considered a safe haven for them. How, how many lives would we need to save? How, how many people would need to be given this sort of uh, refuge that you speak of? Well, there is quite a large lower class population. Exactly. And they are, he slams his, his staff into the ground, the backbone, as you yourself said, they are what makes us great. I agree. So we must keep them. I'm bored of this. Let's continue walking. He goes into the courthouse. You follow behind him, uh, probably a step back from his actual gate. Your brother has managed to be quiet this whole time. He's always been deferential. He, um, uh, and actually, remind me, is he your younger brother? Younger. Two okay. years. Two years. Um, 
he's always been much more deferential. It almost feels as though the the stake that he has, uh, your father, Toro, and his legacy is built on you. Almost like as, he, as if he teaches you things because he's essentially given up on Endor as the kind of person to succeed him in these matters. And for what it's worth, you've demonstrated a supreme amount of cunning in your, in your time growing up, not only in your magical studies, as you've been able to master a few of these uh, spell stones you've, that you've gained access to, but also in your understanding of markets, of economy, and of politics. And in that way, as you watch in the courtroom, you see that there are other council members that are sitting down to speak, and he remains standing. Um, and there are uh, some merchants that are just outside of the council's meeting hall. Uh, and he looks at you and he says, <laughs> Well, this, will, this lesson will have to happen a little earlier than I was expected. Um, Arithel, come here. Come here for just a second. Okay, let's, let's talk a little bit about understanding people. You seem to think that all of these peasants, these lower-class individuals, have a dream to take care of themselves and their families. I assure you that everyone in this world wants something, and they'll do what it takes to get it. What matters to me only is that you understand what drives them and can use that. So... You need to learn what it means to be a market master. So let's do that. Um, uh, as the DM, as I break for just a moment, we're going to teach Ari her custom merchanting perk. Um, here is how this will work. There are times in your campaign that you'll have the opportunity to encounter either a merchant, an individual, or a market, a place where you go to shop for gems, trade for gems. And in all cases, there is a breakdown, a layout of the kinds of gems that exist. I have something to give to Eric. I think. Yeah, here it is. Probably. Your training under your father, Toril, has taught you not just a really keen ability to understand the valuation of all the eight types of stones, but the kinds of ways that you can get maybe a little bit more on the trade. This is an absolute price-gauging chart, which means that you always know the gold piece valuation of any type of gemstone of all sizes between tier zero, cantrips, and tier nine, the level nine gemstones that are astronomically expensive. Okay. And as you, let's assume, just for records, that you have memorized all of this. Um, you know this, it is part of you. But it's about to get a little more interesting. Um, he says, did you know that when somebody sees something that they want, their heartbeat spikes a little bit. You can see their eyes maybe flicker with excitement. They'll try to hide it. They don't want you to know, of course, how valuable that is for them. But you and I, we always see. So let me tell you how to turn it into something Here's what you're gonna do whenever you meet a merchant or go into a market. Um, there are basically, within a particular region, markets will have a distribution of the gemstones they sell. Sapphire scholars probably have more sapphires than say, you know, the people in the Black Jade region. Um, in that way, there are certain, certain types of spell stones that are more valuable, certain ones that are in high demand. Your job, your special ability is to be able to roll 
to see if you can, what's called, peg the market. And I'm gonna actually go into my written description here. Here's the actual description of your perk, which don't worry, I will give to you and you'll get to practice right now. Anytime the party deals with a merchant or market, Airy rolls investigation three times. We'll do that in a moment. Or can use something called tips, which you will have uh, along your journey, to peg the market for three different types of things. Exotic are the type of stone, so one of the nine stones, that is being sold for, that would be purchased for double their valuation. And if you know what that is, you can quickly convert stones your party has into money for much more stones. Special stock is an even more specialized version of it. You'll, well, I'll be able to explain this a little bit better when one of your other party members learns about the spell types themselves, but essentially there is a segment, sub-segment of those spells that go for three times the valuation. And sometimes you'll be able to peg the discount value, things that are going to be sold for less. They're willing to haggle down because they're trying to push it out of their market. Typically things that are what's called in-market, meaning that it's the demand that they already have, the supply they already have, like Sapphire Scholars selling Sapphires, so to speak. It's always random, and I roll for it. Um, but let's just demonstrate this. Back into the flashback. As you are seeing these merchants, you hear them saying, a fresh delivery right here from the Emerald Egalitary. This is your chance. We've got so many enchantment spells. Please come by. We have Emerald, we have some Opal, and we have a few in stock for some Black Jade. You hear another person barking at you and your father, because you're both clearly rich, as they can see, as you begin walking in, and he says, only the finest of the sapphires are found here, curated over decades of research, utilizing some of the best science that we now have. And finally, you see a third merchant that has plenty of rubies and topaz and is telling you that your wildest dreams could be realized if only you could make a purchase. He looks at you, and he puts his arm on your shoulder, and his fingers are long and cold, uh, and he says, Erithil, pick one of these, please. Well, the opal's probably more rare, so I would say we would go with that. Okay. You walk over, and the uh, opal, emerald slash opal sort of merchant here is saying, an absolutely wise choice. Thank you for being here. Of course, I, I was here because I kind of got a peddler's permit for the downstairs steps, and then I thought I might as well just sort of make my way up here, and... Yes, yes, yes I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. Please, go ahead. No, no, just... We don't have much time. Yes, yes, okay. Ah, uh, absolutely, you're right. So, as he begins producing his wares, his inventory... And actually, I'm going to ask you, is it possible for us to produce an inventory? I can give you the stats oh. if you have that. If it doesn't work, that's What's fine. It? I already have, like, some rolls that I can make manually but animated app a while back. We're gonna see if we can use it for today, but we might not have to. Stall for me. Cool. Actually, <laughs> we still have one more thing to do. It's your special perk. Sure. When you're meeting with a merchant, you get to roll investigation or insight. Go. On insight. <laughs> Three times. Okay. So go ahead and roll it and keep those numbers. Remember all of them, okay. um, because you're gonna get to spend them in certain ways. Would it have been the market generator or the merchant generator 5,000? Probably merchant. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, great. So, what are your numbers? Uh, 12, 13, 14. 12, 13, 14. Great. With my friend. Yeah. Very I nice. Have a nice. Yeah. All right. Now, 
What your father has is now in the process of teaching you is that if you think and look very carefully, you might find out specific ways that you can take advantage of this person's desires. Here's what you're able to do with this perk. With your three rolls, you may choose where to put those numbers between exotic, special stock, and discount. Exotic is the gem type that is in double demand. Special stock is a subset of special demand that is 3x because it's a smaller set of spells. Discount, if you can peg discount, you will know which type of stone he's willing to sell for cheaper, which in this case is for 0.7 of their gold value. So, um, where would you like to put those numbers? So, 14 in special stock, okay. 13 in the discount, yep. and then the 12 in the first one. What was the, it? Yeah, uh, it's called exotic. Exotic. Because they're like out of market, so to speak. Okay. So, awesome. So, what now happens is you notice that as he's speaking to you, there's a part of your brain that has running calculations from your understanding of the macroeconomics of the region. You know that trades have been increasing in the Emerald region based on things that have been happening over there, some turmoil amongst the, uh, the farmers that are there. And that in the south, there are increasing number of miners that have discovered a new mine that is increasing the influx of a particular gemstone that you know is so, you're running these calculations. You are a, a very well-read individual in this regard. And as a result, you know for a fact that, as I'm rolling for this, okay, and you've got your trial ready, great. Um, I am ready. Oh, you are ready? Yeah. Okay, cool. You you notice that despite his words, it looks as though he is willing to let go of his opals for less than it appears. Perhaps he's not just pushing his inventory there. And at the same time, you know that he would be willing to pay 3x for spells that are in the tier 2 sapphire and topaz range, um, which, like, at this point you would check your inventory and see if you had it, just for fun, because this is a flashback and doesn't really affect you right now. Um, actually, why don't you just roll luck? Luck? Yeah, that? just roll a d20 okay. and tell me what you get. Two. Two! You have <laughs> none of those things. Um, but he would be willing to pay three X for him because you know he just really wants those particular spells. That's okay. Um, you know that some of his opal spells would be, would be cheaper. Um, and so we can role play this, I suppose, but ultimately, I'm guessing using your father's money or maybe even your own, you just sort of buy it. Yeah. You can get a much shrewder deal because of your, your, uh, your uh, what's it called, market mastery and your father applauds. As the, as the, mar as the merchant walks away, he's like, well, uh, kind of thought I could get more for that, but that's okay. Thank you. And to sell to such a, a fine young new merchant in the area is wonderful. I wish you the best in your work. And don't forget that you can always find more opals and emeralds with me. He gives his name, but nobody cares. Um, <laughs> as you, what a weird name. Yeah. Uh, as, you, as you walk in, your father says, that was good. It would have been nice for you to know that he was also paying double for topaz, but... It's all right. That is something that you will learn over time. As you all sit down at the table there, um, I'm going to pull up some notes. Cool, cool, cool. Great. You sit down and you begin this meeting. But your father is speaking more than he normally would. He, in fact, his, his voice seems to race with uh, energy. And you catch words that are beginning to worry you. Words like... Um, true salvation for the people of Kraya. And as I fast forward, let's just say, 45 minutes through this dialogue, 
he begins culminating in an energy that is insatiable, he says. And that is why, here, in this city, King Adharon is dead. To us, we are all that matters. And to you, I believe that I could be the solution that we've been waiting for. So, here's what I propose. We don't need walls. We need subservience. We need the people of this city to understand where their profitability and where their prosperity comes from. Follow me, as I will remake a new order for the city of Kryon. You will follow me in this regard. What say you? His staff held forward, a gleam as the amethyst on his staff begins to sort of glow in a menacing way. You notice that the other four council members are very quiet. <laughs> they have no words. Until eventually, one of them speaks up and says, What is it that you would have us do, Master Toria? Sort of biting her words as she says it. And he, standing, says, well, I'll get together with my council, and tomorrow this city will be ours. Good day to all of you. And he walks out and beckons you to him. What are you doing? What are you thinking through all this? Um, I'm horrified, but I'm stone-faced. Okay. Um, I'm more afraid of my father than I am uh, apt to show emotion at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um... Yeah, that, I mean, that's pretty much, I, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to see this through as far as I can. Okay, so as he walks out with you, he's muttering <laughs> under his breath, mostly to you, but it kind of feels like he's talking to himself, and he says, it's only a few steps now. We already have the minds. We already have the gods. Really just, uh, you and I need to snap our fingers and get this work done for once in a while. I just needed to get to the point where the council had no proper authority to stop me. And since I've cornered the market on most of the gems in the area, where would they find the magic to stop me anyways? <laughs> anyways, let's get some rest tonight. I'm sure that we'll find plenty of ways to celebrate tomorrow. I'll get that favorite wine of ours and we can open a bottle on the steps of this city while the people uh, cry, grovel, and fear the things that they do. It's what it tends to be from what I've seen. I look forward to it. <laughs> Can you roll a, a deception for me? <laughs> no, definitely deception. I look forward to it. Do what you want. 16. Cool. Oh, okay. He says, that's my girl. Yeah. Let's rest. And you go home. Um, do you have a mental picture of what your home looks like? Not really. Then just uh, imagine nice. it's a it's a scaffolded sort of like wooden carved balustrade and sort of you got this really fancy curved entryway, kind of like a spiral staircase that goes up to a turret in which not a castle, but like a little sort of like jutted out corner of this really nice building where you have your home. And as you walk in, your brother goes straight to his room and he does what he always does, which is he sits and he sharpens one of his blades so that he can carve some figurines that he has 
in his room. He does not seem to be phased by this at all, frankly. Um, you were at your home. What do you do? I'm going to my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your mother. So she she's uh, more petite. She looks a lot like me. That's where I get a lot of my traits from. Um, she was she she was a uh, uh, a traveler. She she's not born of Christ. She wasn't born into nobility. She and Twirl fell in love at a young age and uh, has mostly been a quiet supporter in the background of Twirl's kind of career. Um, uh, at least in his in, sure. in his eyes. Uh, sure. I happen to know that she uh, is a little hesitant with a lot of Twirl's kind of ambition. Yeah. Um, and she has been kind of my confidant for a lot of my growing up. Okay, so you go to her room? Yes. Okay. How's their marriage? Oof. Outwardly great. <laughs> Noted. Yeah. Outwardly great. So you you go up. Her door is open. Um, and she seems to be sitting and uh, basically just taking care of some of the tapestries that she typically works on as a hobby in the evenings. Um, she looks uh, sort of resolute and at peace there, and she's humming a very soft tune to herself as you walk in. Okay. Uh, do I know where my father is at the moment? You know that he is. Um, let's just say he's in his study. He's okay. speaking. He has multiple people at the house at the moment, let's say two or three, that are always full-time duty, helping okay. him with administrative duties. They're scribes, they're documentary tasks, they're doing delegations and messaging and all that stuff. He's talking to them. You can hear his voice okay. murmuring to him cool. downstairs. So I'm, I'm essentially just going to like shut the door and essentially tell her what all that Twirl has kind of revealed in this meeting. Okay, so you just kind of just yeah. share everything with yeah. her. <laughs> just kind of gush of emotion. She pauses. And there's a very calculated look in her eye. Um, she's used to de-escalating moments when your father would get angry at home. You you know that she is extremely skilled in managing his ambition and his anger. She is thinking very carefully about what to say. She puts the tapestry down, puts both of her hands in her lap, and then holds your hand in it. And she says, I'm so sorry that you had to see that. Your father, the last few weeks, he kept speaking of a change that was imminent, but frankly, he's been talking about, he's been talking like that for years. I, I was hoping that it was the same as before. If it is true that the council has implicitly subjugated themselves to his will, then it's only a matter of time before he takes advantage of his stockholder magic. Without any recourse, or without anyone willing to report to the king, this could get very messy very fast. Okay. There's nothing to worry about. Go to your room. Refresh yourselves on the studies that we went through last week. I will talk to him. And I will let you know if you are in any danger. You are my number one jewel. Not him. You start crying. Not him. Not this new dawn of Kraya that he's been talking about. I will do what it takes to keep you safe. And yourself. And myself. Go to roll insight. You were very close to your mother. Um, she was hesitant to say herself. 
uh, it's it's you worry now that there might be a chance that she'd be willing to sacrifice herself if it came down to it. Um, but she does usher you to your room, and because there's not a lot of other things you can do at this moment, unless you plan on confronting your father and no. dueling him. Um, <laughs> you you go to your room and you rest. Um, in the morning, you awake. You walk downstairs where one of the servants would typically have a fresh meal there prepared for you. And at the table, which is normally when you begin some of your studies, with your mother alongside your brother, you do notice that she is not there. Is Endor there? Endor is there. Is mother coming? Uh, I never... Oh. I forgot what time it was. I thought that she was coming. No, I, I haven't seen her yet. Um, can I... I'm going to call, like, one of our servants. Yes, Master Erdo. Do you know where Adora uh, is? I believe Adora was in her room last night and was set to go to bed. Not too late. Would you check on her? Certainly. They walk upstairs, and uh, we're going to do a little bit of fast-forwarding, um, but it is clear to you that she is gone, and you can't find her. Um, I am. Yeah. Wait. Wait. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> Your father is also gone, and I'm gonna do more fast forwarding to try to keep within time. Okay. There's a lot of good stuff here. Um, throughout the course of that day, a lot of things happen. You are looking for your mother. You are going into the street. You are um, almost in a frantic search, taking advantage of the contacts that you have in the city, trying to talk to people, make sure you knew where she was. But in the midst of this, there is bloodshed. There are guards that have been tasked by your father himself to begin capturing people and imprisoning them. The idea clearly being that they would be a form of unlimited labor for him as he is overtaking the city. People in shackles, people weeping. There is, with some resistance, also violence. As the guards begin enacting, using some of the magic, kind of the low-level spells that they've been provided by Toril himself and his, you know, sort of council members. And as you finish the day, you recognize that there is no going back. As of now, the city is your father's. And unless something drastic happens and fast, he will leverage the city's economic connections to make himself even more powerful over time. As the day draws to an end, um, and I hate to do this, I'm gonna do some like a little bit more of a skim, skippy skippy stuff, because um, I like I like what's written here. Um, you you discover that there is a secret organization that is organizing against the people of Toril's army um, called the Emerald Insurgents. These are people that have relationships in the Emerald uh, Egalitary that have also been in the city of Kryos, seen what is going on, and their leader, Sora, um, is someone that recruits you to her cause, trying to leverage your relationship as the daughter of Toril to be a sort of double spy for them. You spend the next few months um, engaging in that activity, trying to provide information here and there, and ultimately, and uh, I, I'm going to do even more fast-forwarding than I thought I was. Um, but I want to get all of this, so I'm going to do it in a narrator sort of way. Um, ultimately, Sora, um, which I guess I, I do want to hear what Sora looks like. Describe Sora as a character. Yeah, so she's more of a hot-headed, uh, she's a half-orc, mm. um, dark, kind of curly, wild hair, a little taller than Aerie, a um, little stockier. She's, she's a typical, like, hot-headed, like, 
like kind of rebellious teenager type. Nice. Um, but she she and Ari become very close over that time. Got uh, it. They spend together. Okay. And as you continue to be this this sort of double agent for Sora and the Emerald Insurgents, you discover that there is a critical point in time about a month and a half later where if you were going to stop your father, it would be right before a new shipment of greatly powerful, like very powerful rubies and diamonds would come to his city. Stopping that caravan is the most important thing. But as you are arriving in the city of Kraya, you notice that he has a much larger military force. And at the head of it, leading the charge, um, as, as instructed by your father, is your brother Endor. Endor, as sort of the captain of the guard in this particular way, seems very reluctant um, to engage in combat, um, but he doesn't know that you were there. Um, you are sort of working as sort of this masked uh, 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 fighter alongside the insurgency. Combat goes on, and unfortunately, especially as the new forms of magic are being uh, uh, utilized by these soldiers, it comes to the point where you are clear that this combat is going to cause a lot of people to die. Soldiers that have been added to their army are not the soldiers that you remember from earlier. They seem to be the imprisoned folks of Praia that are now being wa- that are now waging these wars. Um, you. Uh, Again, some fast-forwarding, more of this. Uh, you decide that what you would like to do instead is to spare as many lives as possible because you're, you want to free the people, not slaughter them in the streets of Kraya. And as you do that, you are able to very, very, uh, what's the word, reluctantly um, convince Sora that the right thing to do is to speak to Endor's heart and try to get them to stop the fight. It does work for a time, but when Toril arrives and the combat begins, because your people lay down their arms in an effort to surrender and persuade the people of Kryo, you and Sora and a few other key leaders within the, the, the Emerald Insurgents are captured, and Toril stands all of you on the steps of the courthouse, where several lives have already been slain, some today, and he looks down on all of you as it is revealed that you have been working for them this entire time. He says, so this is where all the information about my shipments was being sent. I cannot believe you, that you would do this. I wanted you to be something, not like your brother. I am something. These people, these are the backbone that we were talking about you have to see where they're coming from, Father. You are nothing to me. It's funny that you could actually have become something of value. People responding to your call, and instead you've made yourself I am fighting for what mother would have fought for. Your mother can never fight. And frankly, if she had something that she stood for, this. 
It's gone now. He leans in very closely. He holds the emerald keepsake that Sora gave you, the one that's around your neck. And he leans very closely, and he whispers in your ear, and he says, You know, we killed her. I got the children that I needed. I had a shot at a legacy. So, we erased her. I think it's clear where this is going. Take her away. Put her in prison. Wait. Take me. Kill me, but spare them. I did this. I convinced them not. It wasn't their own will. Roll intimidation, actually. I've never rolled intimidation in my life. Uh, 11. Okay. He draws a sword. I know when you are lying. And if these people want to overthrow me, then you will witness their demise. Kill them all. No. You continue to scream, by the way. I'm sure you don't stop. But in an almost eerie and militaristic fashion, the guards on the steps, as commanded by your brother's words, one by one, drop their swords over the heads of your colleagues. And six of them, in sequence, lose their lives on the steps of the Cryon courthouse. The last being your dear friend, Sora. Her last words to you being, And as she loses her life, and you are probably in tears, <laughs> you are dragged away into a cell where you spend several weeks. And the last piece of four fast forwarding. There are people that are still free that care about you. A servant girl in here finds a way. And as the two of you conspire together through little message and soup and secret signal here and there as you stay in the cells, she arranges for you to escape. And under the cover of nightfall, you find a way to break free, reclaim the medallion, this sort of emerald insignia of your friend Sora, and run. And you spend the next couple of months trying to find what it would take to learn how to stop your father and these people. And it was after a period of time that you discovered that your answers might be at the Celestial Conservatory. With contacts there that might help you to reclaim the magic that will help you either save the people of Cryo or stop your father, whichever happens first. And we'll end that scene there. <laughs> what? <laughs> Holy start! <laughs> I didn't yeah, sign up for emotions. <laughs> Wow. This is D&D. What did you expect? What is your character doing right now? So, uh, right now is in, like... In the present. In the... Okay. You've now uh, just relived all of these sequences, kind of like there were little memories and scenes that were flashing into your mind. So she's crying. Yeah, just, like, uh, openly weeping. Yeah, yes. just, like, openly weeping. 
It's are you are you gonna try like... to hide it? No. Okay, cool. Uh, there, there's a there's a student that's next to you. He's he's like a halfling. He's got like a bit like a big old knapsack. He's got really fluffy hair. Like he's got like a perm or something. <laughs> um, and and he kind of just looks up at you. He says, "Are you all right, Miss?" <laughs> fine. I'm thinking. I'm fine. All right. He goes back to his board. <laughs> 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 right. Cream cheese again. Fine. You thought you could tell that he's living his memory. He's like, cream cheese again, mother. How wonderful. <laughs> so we are going to roll again. One through five this time. If we hit a six, we will re-roll. Need Unless it's Claire's character, in which case we're, we're just going to skip and do a different one. That is a three. We are going to meet Cypress. Yay. What is that? All right, let me. Uh, okay. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, Cypress, you're looking at this orb, and you're remembering flickers of moments, not just from when you were younger, but also very recently. But something that you don't recognize in your memory—a vision that you swear is not actually yours. Um, but as you go into your memory, you are in the palace of King Adoron of the Amethyst Kingdom. Oh boy. Are you okay? <laughs> He's looking at the rock. <laughs> he, um, you, as a child, are walking among the court, the, the hallways, and you are dressed in basically rags. Nothing wealthy. You do not have status here. And worse still, you are following hand in toe with your mother, who is working the halls as a cleaning lady of sorts. She's helping to dust the rugs and the massive sort of insignias and coat of arms. She is helping clean the doors and everything else. And every time the king passes her, he uses a catchphrase that you've become accustomed to. He says, Little woman wench, if you should please, I would very much like if you could go over that space again. He, he almost has a sing-songy attitude about saying little woman wench. And your mother, you notice, actually, you do notice, whatever. You notice that she has like a little bit of like a cringe in her, like, like she like shudders a little bit every time she hears it. And her response is always exactly the same. Absolutely King Adelon. To which she would do it. You're almost confused by this. You're not old enough. You're like, what, seven years old? You, you don't, like, super understand the dynamic between her and the king and why she responds the way that she does. And as of now, you um, are living life in the palace, and it is clear to you that both of your parents, mother and father, are not being treated in, the, in even the most remotely humane ways by the king. Um... It seems to you, actually, let's, let's, uh, we're, I want to get a look at your character in the present day, but what, what are your thoughts about all of this? I mean, as like a seven-year-old? Yeah. Um, just confusion mixed with like anger mm-hmm. of like, I don't, cause I don't really understand what's going on yet, but I know that my mom doesn't deserve to be treated like that. And so I get angry every time it happens but I've been taught well enough not to say anything mm-hmm. that I'll get in a lot of trouble if I speak out or do anything. Got it. Well, so I stay quiet. <laughs> so um, there's, there's a period of time 
um, in which you are growing up and learning more about why things are the way they are, why people in power stay in power, why their influence over everyone is to the point where sometimes leaders just don't have an ounce of humanity for them. Um, and as I double check something, yep, great. Um, you have a conversation with your mother. She is, um, so, so you yourself are a uh, wood elf, um, your mother also an elf. Um, she is speaking with you as she tries to clean you off at the end of the day, but she doesn't exactly have like new or fresh clothes to give you as you are in your chambers in the castle. Um, and she says, if only there was a better life for you out there, I just know that you could make something of that. I don't want you here for the next 50 years, washing and scrubbing and washing and scrubbing and being called little whatever until you die. There has got to be something. I heard something. I heard something in court yesterday. Okay, okay, this, there, there's something here. Um, we should send you away, far away. I heard the, the, the servants, rumors, whispering of a, of a refuge out in a forest um, on an island uh, a few weeks' journey from here. If I can get you out, I want you to find me. There's no light for you here. Tonight. Um, and as at the time, actually, I want to double check if I'm, if I'm aligned with what you had written. Um, are you, what, what age are you right now? By the time I leave? Yeah. Like, late teens. Okay, got it. I think I think I had your number in my head, uh, and I said the wrong one. So, so you know, just imagine an entire scene, except uh, you're a teenager now. <laughs> so you, um, you're at this sort of like this young adult age where you can kind of go off and fend for yourself. And so what ultimately happens is that night she arranges for a distraction that is going to allow you to escape. You, it is clear to you that she might experience some pretty severe repercussions for this when it turns out that you are gone, since typically what happens is people that are born to the servants of the castle are just endlessly you know, uh, indebted to the castle and served for all of their lives, and she effectively let you escape. But um, you journey for a few days, you meet a few travelers along the way, you make your way to the edge of the forest, and you pass out somewhere along the outskirts of the Opal Refuge, a place you have not seen, you don't know exists. And when you awake, you see that there's a canopy of shimmering light above you. You notice that there's a woman holding you. She is big, tall. She is uh, probably like seven feet tall. Uh, and she has just sort of a, like what, I guess a regular build for that height, but is still to like overall just a very big woman um, that has wings that are very slender and are folded into her side. Um, and as she holds you in her hands, she says, oh. Dear child, please do not be afraid. The forest has chosen you to be here. And what I'm going to do is more fast forwarding, because um, we're doing multiple scenes apparently. Um, this woman's name is Moraldi. Moraldi is uh, sort of a fae queen. Um, um, although she's really more like a fae mother. Um, 
Because she doesn't have more of it. She doesn't have a, as much of an imperial rule as much as she just has lots of children. Um, and so in that way, you are sort of raised as this adoptive brother to a bunch of, like, fairy kids and sylphs and fey creatures. And as you were growing up, you notice that there's something really wonderful about these people. They are not like King Adoran and his court. They don't take. Instead, they create or they repurpose, almost like they can recycle magic itself into something else. And Moraldi is taking you on one of her rounds when she says, um, Cyprus, do you know what's special about the oak tree from which you get your surname? No. Oak trees have some of the longest roots of any of the trees in this forest. Watch, and she waves her hand, green energy sparkles from it, and roots begin to lift themselves out of the ground 200 feet away from the from the tree that you are standing on. Um, real truth, by the way, about oak trees. Um, <laughs> and you see that, oh, branching wet, so many of these roots from one tree, as they all sort of glow, and you see the pulsing energy of the sort of the life that flows through them. She says, What's impressive about the oak tree is not necessarily that it is one of the biggest or the longest or even the heaviest. It is not that its wood has the brightest flame or that it has a fine smell, but instead that it has the ability to repurpose almost anything. Breaking down, using the soil and the sun and creating life for us here in the forest. She looks at you. <laughs> like mesmerized with everything she does. She she's like she she kind of chuckles to herself and she flickers her hands as the 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 all there's like thirty of these roots begin to like kind of dance. They're doing like they're doing like a, like an electro wave where they like they like do a little <laughs> ripple across all of them. Um, and she says, "I want to show you something that is very special." The roots then pull into the ground deep, and one of them pulls up and out of the earth a small opal, an actual gemstone. It's a, it's a tier one gemstone. Uh, okay. Um, A-L, opal. <laughs> um, and she grabs it and she hands it to you. And she says, wait, I know that you want to weave it into a spell immediately. Listen, what do you hear? So you put your you put your ear up to it. Yeah. You hear a heartbeat. It's not exactly like human hearts. Not ba bum ba bum, but it's more like a rhythm. Let me know if you listen to spells of the future. I will beatbox their rhythm. Here's what she teaches you. She says every spell wants to be heard, like a song. We call these frequencies. These are a representation of the spell they want to become. Skilled gem weavers can find what that spell is and turn it into a spell stone, but the most honest and humble of gem weavers, they can do more with it. Listen. And she casts her hand on it, and a pulse of energy shifts through it and hears what you now hear as it transitions. 
This is a Bob. I thought so myself, actually. You should see what the LP sounds like. Um, so she. Big lady in the So Moraldi, Moraldi says. Spells are close to one another in frequency. If you can shift the rhythm just slightly, you can create a whole different kind of spell. And she shifts the rhythm to something new, and out from it comes a spell stone. Now, in its final form, you hold it in your hand, and, uh... I don't know, what spell is it? <laughs> um, uh, I don't know, what spell is it? <laughs> I don't know, what spell is it? I have a generator that I just didn't happen to pull up because I didn't think we were going to be doing it. Okay, cool. It's the spell um, Disguise Self. Congratulations. Um, you have it now. So you, 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 you have, you, you've got this little stone and it, it allows you to like put an illusion on yourself and be a different person for a little bit. And you, she sees you playing with it. She says, there's something very special about magic. So many people out there, they believe that the only way to use magic is to use it, consume it, and toss it away, little shard fragments. But we can do more than that. I want to teach you how to do something special called cross-weaving, which is going to be your work. Justin! Every spell in the universe of Chrysalis has a frequency, and you know none of them. This is a periodic table of every spell that exists. All 600 of them. <laughs> oh boy! She says, can you randomly generate seven level one spells for me? Seven? Level one spells? Just uh, keep rolling until you get them and have a list ready. Um, I'm going to read your perk. Here's what it says. Anytime the party weaves a stone, Cypress learns its frequency and can store it in his table. He may then use um, a certain number of shards, which are broken fragments, like leftover remains from stones. You can consume shards of that same gemstone type to cross-weave a spell into an adjacent cell in the table. Meaning, you can convert spell stones into stones that are similar to them, giving your party a much greater degree nice. of flexibility <laughs> once you've learned what those are. Um, sometimes he can learn frequencies through study, through papers, or through apprenticeship other, oh, under other gem weaver masters. So, you are going cool. to spend in your backstory a little bit more time just getting the hang of this. You yeah. know this skill for, let's say, a few months, and in your time you're not very skilled, let's be frank, but you're able to learn a few frequencies. And Annie is helping uh, me great. generate them. Oh, you're doing like a script Spell, thing. Spells or what? Level one spells. Literally any of them. So not a specific gem? Nope. I don't have anything to do that. That's fine. Except I got for like it. the merch. I got it. Okay. You. There. And it's broken. We are going to limit these to, uh, to be frank, ones that might be actually more useful to you. Um, and I, you're going to get seven of them. Seven frequencies, not seven stones. Um, you're going to imagine that you like helped weave it, you learned it, and then you yeah. like... Like they, they're using it. They're taking it, not you. So let's uh, freaking do this. Um, these are all going to be first level. And go ahead and roll. I have some. You have almost for seven? Okay. Yeah, I'm here. I, Sick. Well, I have to get. Yeah, here. 
Great. Here they are. Okay, are I'm going to tell you the frequencies for all of these when Annie reads them out. You now know these frequencies as a part of your... I gotta get the thing. There's an answer sheet. Tier one, right? Yeah. Okay. I'd have you roll, but it's random either way, and you're not making any choices, so we're, we're going to speed it up. I gave a chance of everything. Um, yeah. Like, you could literally, like, the Opal Refuge is in a location where you could really find pretty much any and all of these. Yeah, it's a Let me know when you're ready. This one? Okay, cool, got it. Great. Give Detec it a shot. Detect evil and good. Hmm. So this is... Oh. Okay, got it. So this is a... Uh, here's your frequency. I actually haven't taught you how to read frequencies. Uh, we use a number system rather than like a rhythm system, so I don't want you to have to memorize beatboxing <laughs> patterns. Um, so the first number is the gemstone type. And you can see that they go from one sapphire all the way through eight black jade. And you'll have to flip through to find them. There are 600 of these. Um, so, you know, good luck uh, <laughs> as far as that goes. It's more fun than it seems. Okay, so this is a diamond. Spoiler. Um, it is 113. Oh, sorry, it is 7113. Okay. It's the white ones on the, the back two pages. You'll figure it out. Once you get the first one, you'll kind of get the system. Yeah, out. so 7 so indicates ones. that it's 7113. Uh, go to the, the page in your left hand. Where's the seven? Does it say seven on it? Uh, I don't know. It's oh, seven just means diamond. Yeah, it means okay, diamond. Does it say diamond? diamond? So there's no. the rubies there, and there's the black rubies. jade under it, so I would assume in the middle there is yeah. diamond. The white. Save the You're looking for a uh, level. Yes. So. Actually, I should just show you. I, I have no this idea why I'm making you do this by yourself. <laughs> I'll make you a better. We're always, like, teaching you. Uh, okay, so when you look for... so. The first number is the stone. I can just tell you what the stone is, but generally speaking, it's one going down. So one, two, three, four, skip, skip, skip. If I had had like butcher paper make it super long, that'd be much more helpful. You're scroll. Here we go. Okay, that so, works. oh, well this is also hard. Diamond is like very hard to see on the background here. It's this cell right here. So it's one, 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 three. Okay. See that? So, or it's seven, one, one, three. One, one, three. Cool. Kind of like a phylum genus species kind of thing in terms of uh, how the you numbers break down. Three, so to like check. Mark yeah, you would there. write detect evil and good. Oh, okay. Because that's the spell. That's why I try to make the cells a little bit bigger. Next one. Sleep. Nice. Sleep. Sleep I is <laughs> sleep is emerald. So that is uh, what's that five? That's five one four one. Five, one, four. That's right. Sleep. Sleep. Yo, the spell sleep. Next. This guy itself? Just know that every single one of these, since you know it, as long as you have a stone that is next to it, you can choose to adjacent, meaning up, down, left, right. You can cross weave into it. Um, just so you can have the spell. This guy itself. Mm -hmm. Let me know when you're ready. Okay. This is an opal. It is opal one, two, one. Okay, what is opal? It's what color. Purple ish. Well, it's, it's a. Uh, uh, I don't know. Like maroon. No, probably I guess. like next page. That looks like amethyst. Okay. What number is Oak's count? It's the six. So one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Yeah, that's five, six. Yeah, Close. that's pink. Yep. That that's pink one after. Okay, one. pink. Pink is what I, I call it. Pink. So it is uh, one, two, one. One, two, one. And that's what? Uh, it is the, the sky, sky itself. 
which is actually the one that we randomly rolled earlier, which is pretty funny. Next. Uh, Hail of Thorns. Cool. Nice. That's a conjuration spell. This is a ruby. It is yep. ruby one, two, three. <coughs> one, two, three. So Ruby would be three. Yeah. Generally, the color coding there is like the color of the stones themselves. So Ruby would be red, and amethyst would be. Purple. Let me say one, two, three. One, two, three. Okay, and that was uh, hail of thorns. Next. Find familiar. Fun. This is also Ruby. This is one, two, one. Ruby, one, two, one. One, and that was find familiar. familiar. Mm-hmm. Find familiar. Locate. Next. One. Uh, hellish rebuke. <laughs> this is a sapphire. 1-1-4. Hellish rebuke. Next. And then searing smite. Is that the last one? I have another one if you need it. Okay. One. Well, I want seven, so I don't know. What Let that me counts. count it. One, uh, that's a this two, searing three, smite is a sapphire. Four, one, five, two, one. Six, seven. That's seven. And what is it? Searing smite. Like you sear a steak. Right. That's, that's cool. Sapphire. All right. Next. That's it. Oh, that's it. Great. Smoke. This is your current frequency table. And for the rest of the campaign, anytime your party, anyone in your party successfully needs a gem, which for the most part is automatic, unless you decide to do something really fancy, um, then you get to learn the frequency permanently and you can use that to do cross-weaving. To be honest, it's not going to kick in until you get like, I don't know, 20 or something stones, um, unless you get lucky and you just happen to find one that is next to another one that you happen to also want. But it is something that you will be able to use to learn over time and it's also the same table I use for your demand squares um, for what's called special stock. But we're not really going to focus on it too much today because intros and all that. But you have learned your special perk. And as we go back into the story, you're hearing the rhythms of all of these different stones studying their frequencies when there is a racket, noise. You hear fire and you hear shouting on the outskirts of the forest, specifically in what's called the oak branch, the part of the forest that has mostly oak trees. You rush out there, I imagine, and as you are standing there, from inside the canopy, the glimmering canopy that you were welcomed into several years ago, you see beyond that on the outskirts of the forest, the trees that are not necessarily protected by the refuge or the illusion that is the refuge, you notice that there are emerald egalitary farmers and workers uh, and lumberjacks that are setting a blaze to a patch so that they can then use it to cut their way into trees that are at the base of the forest. What are you thinking right now? Uh, well, I, like, I'm freaked out. I'm like, oh no. And so I run back into where everyone else is. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, people are destroying the forest. We need to stop them. Moraldi does this gesture. She says, all right, hold on. Calm down for a second. There's no way that they can get in here. We are safe. And the trees here are safe as well. Yep. Those trees will grow again. Their seeds fall and they regrow as they always have. They're, they're burning and destroying large paths bigger than they will be able to regrow in any 
like reasonable amount of time. It's gonna like destroy the balance of the nature. You here. you overhear a lumberjack off in the distance going, ha ha, ha, ha. man, I do enjoy cutting down this tree. <laughs> Give Alex. me another cigar! <laughs> and then you hear another guy say, Hey, Paul! Are you cutting down that super big and old tree? <laughs> hey, it's a little hard to get through, but you gotta just grit and bear it. Hey, you think that'll be a really nice piece of wood to sell as furniture to King Adaron's palace? Yeah, they're gonna have a good time lifting this bad boy as they set it up. Yeah, die of pneumonia. <laughs> anyway, you, uh, you hear all of that very kind of oh. far off, past the shimmer of the glow of the dome, and Moraldi says, they seem like nice people. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so no. I am not going to let them do this. I'm not going to let them all right, exploit all right. our forest. I'm sorry, I was joking. It's unfortunate that there are people that would seek to waste of the earth just for their own personal gain. But our responsibility is here to these people. And moreover than that, you know what would happen if you chose to leave this grove. Our responsibility is to all of nature, not just this little bubble. She seems concerned. And she says, If you go... I cannot promise that you will succeed. I can promise if you stay here that you will be safe. And I want you to be safe. But if you believe in your honest heart that there is something out there worth fighting for, well then I can't blame you. I know what that life is like. She looks at you, and she sort of cradles your head the way she did when she first held you um, in the refuge. And she pushes your forehead as she leans down to hers. And she says, uh, kind of like a uh, like a traditional ritual statement that you have gotten very accustomed to. It's like a goodbye. Um, and she says. Teach them the meaning of prosperity without destruction. And if you can't do that, then at least try to find your way back here. I, I will. I, I will do it. As she's holding your head, her forehead begins to glow. And what you don't see is that her hands behind yours is pulsating with a multicolored energy. And you feel it jolt through the back of your head. <laughs> and suddenly you awake. You're on the outside of the opal refuge in the forest. And you don't remember anything about the last seven years of your life. You know, if you want him to come back, <laughs> maybe that's not the best move. Does he still have the logbook thing? It's in his head. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> but he doesn't remember. Ha! <laughs> that's funny. Let's imagine well, it's like muscle memory. 
cool. it's like it's rhythmic. So he just like right. he just knows. I didn't um, have to like hear it. Yeah. It's like riding a bike. Yeah, it's like riding a bike. So you are on the outside, and all you know is that in front of you right now, there are lumberjacks guarded by soldiers that are chopping down trees. Uh, about six of them right now. Three lumberjacks and three soldiers. One of them has a cigar, right? One of them has a very big cigar. And maybe COPD. He he takes it and he lights it on the fire in the like the brush fire that's behind him, and then he uses it to light a tree on fire, and then he puts it back in his mouth. <laughs> He's that. like, I, I think oak really adds a lot of flavor. Oh, no. So I'm like, do they see me? Um, no, currently not. You're like you're like laying in the grass. Okay, I'm gonna like get hidden in some bush somewhere and sh- okay. shoot him with an arrow. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it go ahead. Go ahead okay. and roll, roll, roll an attack. And uh, because they don't see you, let's just roll with advantage. Sneak attack. Right. Um, kill him. One shot. Who are you aiming for? They're free guards. They're they're soldiers. Cigar, they have like cigar shields. Just cigar. Just cigar. Right? He's a lumberjack. Yeah, I'm he's got he's the one. He's the it. one destroying. The All right, trees. go ahead. Go ahead and roll. This guy doesn't even remember the last seven years, and his first thought is like. <laughs> Dirty 20. Dirty 20, alright, cool. So, your arrow flies true, and you notice as he's smoking that it goes, it skewers right through his cigar, and directly into, like, his face, uh, as he takes a shot in one of his cheeks. And he's just like, And the other soldier's like, Hey! What are you doing? There's some dude over there! In the grass! And so they start running, they start running at you. Um, let's do kind of a fast version of combat here. We're going to see how things go. You, the, the first Lumberjack, he's dead within minutes. He doesn't make it through the fight. You, you really did. You did him dirty. Um, you did him dirty with that very 20. Um, his cigar is like, it's like in the arrow, like the arrow on fire, and then he falls to the ground, and like, he's just not, not a pretty picture. But, um, uh, minutes, yeah. He's, it's a long time. A lot, a lot of blood loss. Yeah, no, he, he bleeds out over the course of, you know, the next few minutes there. Um, uh, you, let's just imagine he's not a risk for you. But, yeah, so go ahead and roll combat. Like, let's do three more, just like, attacks. And, and I'll, I'll kind of roll for your, your enemies here. Oh. Plus. Okay, uh, two twenty-fours and a ten. Cool. Wow. Um, so this is cute because what I, so so two of these guards run up and they're on either side of you and they've got like these short spears that they're using and they have their shield but they're kind of like jab it into you with one hand that they shift into to like get a positioning and both of them manage to miss as you're standing there fighting both of them at once. You're, you feel like you've got a pretty good handle of the situation despite the fact that you like don't even really know where you are right now. Um, it's what what do you do? What do you do to them? Let's just imagine you kill both of them in combat oh. with those twenty fours. What what do you do? Well, I I use them to smother the fires that they started. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's, no. like, it's like it's like into the ground. They're like yeah. ah, my metal, my metallic armor is really making this very uncomfortable. <laughs> I am very hot right now. Um, you shouldn't have done this. This <laughs> moment, I'm very hot. I, you're just like wiping the like little like dish rag. You're just like wiping them in the fire. 
It's not doing a good job of putting out the fire, FYI. But but let's, you know, we're gonna say we're gonna say I'm it'll kind make of it foggy up here. Cool. Really the last guy uh, manages to get up behind you. He's one of the guards. The other two lumberjacks are basically fleeing, um, and he's able to like gnash you in the leg with your with his spear. Yeah. So you got you got some blood coming out. You're gonna take some damage. You'll probably survive, but let's find out. Roll again. Uh, roll what? Just an attack. Just uh, rule of twenty. Uh, fifteen. Cool. Um. You win. What do you do? <laughs> um, so he, did, what did he stab me with, like a spear? Or yeah, he stabbed me with like a little short spear. Um, <laughs> is it like still in me, or he's gonna poke me? Uh, he jabbed you. He just jabbed. Okay. Um, I'm gonna like kind of grab it and like push him like like as he like, pulls it out, like okay. grab it and like kind of I guess yeet him so he like falls back <laughs> yeet like, him. onto the yeah. fire. Got it. Okay. Cool. I mean, he's still alive. He's like, oh, I'm yeah. definitely alive and burning. <laughs> push him out. Then, okay, you just push him, and like, yeah, push him like back onto it, and then okay, I turn around, so I'm facing him. <laughs> so just be clear, you throw him onto it, and then he stands up, and you just kind of push him back onto it. <laughs> sure. And then he's going to stand up again, you're just going to keep pushing him onto it. And <laughs> eventually, the fire hurts out. I mean, fire, fire hurts are hurt fire hot. This is a very slow way to die. <laughs> you shouldn't have done this. Hurting. <laughs> Several mountains. No, I don't, I don't. Finish him off. Okay. I tell him, leave and don't come back and stop setting fires. It's like, oh, uh, I'm gonna have to take off my shoes to walk back because my feet are burned. And uh, all right, that'd be a lesson to you. <laughs> so he and the, the, other, the other lumberjacks kind of just like run away. Um, and you, you just defeated this little crew, but you can tell where you are right now that if you were to travel down the road, there are multiple sort of lumberjack uh, expedition groups, little foraging groups that are out. They are destroying so much of the land. And as one person, you're already bleeding from the leg. There is no way that you could take on all of them. There's no one there to help you. And you don't know where to find anyone that you know. You, To your knowledge, all you know is that your parents are enslaved by the king and that you want to get revenge against, you know, those kinds of correct governments, and you've got this sort of like this rhythm in your head, this heartbeat that keeps propelling you forward. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'm gonna, I'll do a little more hand-waving, I think, and we can yeah. sort of wrap up here. Um, as you continue journeying, uh, you wage a couple of little petty wars and raids here and there as a solo sort of vigilante against these types of earth-destroying expeditions and caravans. You try, in general, unless necessary, not to kill people, um, but at the same time, if it comes down to it, you'll use combat to stop their supply lines. Um, telling them, sending a messenger every single time, go back and tell them, stop, you know, defacing the forest here. And so they're like, <laughs> they run. You don't know if they will or not, but you ultimately discover that you need to, you need to be stronger to wage this war. And you know that there is more to learn about this renewable resource, turning shards, using shards to create new gemstones. That's something that no one seems to know about. You had never heard of before. So you decide to go to the Celestial Conservatory. We can study more of these materials and hopefully with whispers of a nine stone out there, maybe even just if you could get a single shard from a nine stone, that might solve a lot of the reasons why people like the Emerald Egalitary or the Amethyst Kingdom are bulldozing, bulldozing forests for wood and for gemstones. It may just save the Earth. Or crystallis in this case. And, anything else? Yeah, uh, just, I guess, 
the, I'm going to say like the journey from the forest yeah. to the uh, scholars is a long, slow one, and I end up like working with gangs of like ruffians just along the way as I travel. Oh, got it. Stopping. So like little, little, little. Like I, I do. I spend a little time with the like. Emerald, Emerald Insurgents, yeah. and then I'm with some other little insurgency. Got kind it. Of just do eco-terrorism as I go. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll say we'll say you even met, met Sora at some period of time and 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 yeah. in very tangential terms. Just a working relationship. Um meets Ares character. Um but you were gone and not present yeah, when everything happened um for her, for them. Um so you don't know at all that this has happened. Um so uh cool. Well then you have this memory, and this is the first time in several months, uh, maybe even we could say like a few years, I don't know how slow your journey was, that you remember the face of your mentor, Moraldi, and remember your several years in the Opal Refuge. This is a huge flashback for you. Can you please roll a wisdom save? Also, what, like, race and appearance is he? Ah, uh, yes, I was waiting until he was older, but now that he's older, um, Justin, okay. now that you're here today, uh, roll that in a moment and tell me, tell us, introduce us to who you are. Okay, so I am a, um, wood elf druid. Okay. I am, uh, green eyes, um, average brown hair, like, darker brown skin, um, I have like uh, clothes that look like they're made out of like that appear like they're made out of leaves. Uh, like same with like my pants, so, like just kind of look like I'm wearing nature. Okay. Um, Adam from Adam and Eve. <laughs> yes, I'm kind of like an average height, average build. Um, Thank you. Um, my name is Cypress Oakweaver, um, which is not my like birth name. I took that name when I left. Not only to hide, like, or like distance my actions from my parents, um, so that nothing came back to them, but also to kind of fit in more with the nature that I wanted to protect. Cool. So awesome. that's me. Awesome. Um, and uh, wisdom saving. Oh, and here we go. Give me a wisdom saving throw. <laughs> it's plus five to wisdom saving throws. Very nice. Good. Saving throw. Uh, that's a nineteen. Okay. Seeing um, his, like memory for the first time. So you, you are shaken greatly by this. It's like you got to instantly live several years of your life. That's, it's impossible to explain what that feels like. But to you right now, it's like deja vu, like you've been there, but you're not even sure if it really happened. Was it a dream or was it something else? And your ultimate conclusion is that this really did happen. And you know this woman, Moraldi. What was that? What do you what do you do right now? I mean, I just kind of like dumbstruck stare at the little orb thing, and I'm just like almost like fighting off a headache, kind of like what? <laughs> and it's kind of like <laughs> waves of like realization, and then like horror mixed with like drive. Mixed with just confusion, all like flooding in at once. You have a lot of emotions, just yeah. like all, oh, just all at once. <laughs> and so I kind of stand there dumbstruck for a while. Hmm. Awesome, awesome. 
You're, so you're there, you look very confused. There's there's a professor that's standing next to you. Um, he's got like, he's kind of walking through and he's kind of just monitoring things and he puts a hand on your shoulder and you look at him. This dude looks like, just like the biggest weirdo hippie that you've ever seen. He's got like this gray hair and mushrooms growing out of his ears and he's got like this like tie-dye open button shirt. He's got like a hairy yeah. chest and like a necklace. And he kind of looks at you he's like, yo, hey man, I, I noticed what uh, you're going through there. You're gonna experience that a lot here at the university. <laughs> hey, you should come by sometime. We'll have a good time. Uh, you, uh, you know what? Uh, I might just do that. <laughs> He's what's your, what's your what's your name? Uh, he goes. Um, I don't know the name of this guy. <laughs> I was thinking about the flashback. Um, uh, he's like, well. They call me Professor Spindle, but I think that you can just call me Gary. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you up on that. Cool. I'm gonna need someone like you here. Cool. He's like, hey, you can find me in room number, and he tells you, and you now know where it is. Um, and <laughs> Found and, Gary. <laughs> so Gary Spindle. Um, why not? So all of that. Oh, actually, I lied. I actually wrote his name down a long time ago. Oh, Professor Fun Guy. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Way better. Officially, his name is Gary Fungi. All right. Um, so, so Gary, Professor, the Professor. Um, uh, what is the the the, the tall lady's name? Uh, headmaster. Oh, your your yeah. mentor mother is Moraldi. She doesn't have a last name. How do you spell it? M e r a l d i. Like Merlin. One minute. And then Professor Gary. <laughs> Oh, there you go. So um, he walks off, and you're you're kind of just looking at these students that are sort of around you right now, and your your gaze sort of like shifts over, and you're looking at our next player. Oh, oh, bye. <laughs> Is it a D four? Yeah. Oh, I might as well do D four. Uh, I'm using a D twenty. What? Through five, you get it. Um, it's one. It is. Our friend, Uyanga. Oh, wow. Yay! Yeah, I don't think so, I Let's do this in reverse. So I think it's actually more important that we see you before we start doing things with you. Um, as he is looking, he notices you standing there pretty close to him. What does, describe Uyanga, just kind of what you look like. We'll get into the other stuff later. So she's, she looks like this. Ooh. Ooh. Um, she has... Kind of like almond-shaped eyes, golden skin tone, really like silky straight black hair, um, black black eyes, um, and she is dressed in kind of like not coarse clothes, but definitely not like fine nobility clothes, um, and. Has kind of like a high collar. She has a sash around her waist that it seems like there's a, a like a sling through it that looks like it's woven out of horsehair. So yeah, she she looks kind. She but she also looks quiet. She's just kind of standing there. All right, very cool. Well, so you are also holding your little crystal orb here, and as you stare into it, you get to experience something very interesting in your memory. You were your keen connection to the beasts of the land and your powerful empathy starts your vision from the eyes of an eagle as it sails down over the plains near your homeland. 
and you see that there are herds that are moving from one place to another, some oases and waterholes that crop up here and there, some jutted rocky enclave, not really mountains, just more like sharper hills with uh, maybe a few canyons in between. And eventually we find ourselves at the, the uh, village, the home of your tribe, the Kalka, Kalka? Uh, tribe. Why don't you describe what's going on in your tribe on this morning? It's a completely normal morning from our point of view. The tents are up as they have been for a while, our gares. Um, we are feeding, watering the horses and sheep and yaks, our livestock that are our livelihoods. Um, there are women washing clothes in big vats of, of water of the blood. So um, there's smoke coming out of the, the tops of our tents as other people, maybe younger siblings, tend to cook fires inside. It's just normal and quiet. There's noises of people talking to each other, women chattering, um, men and boys, and some of the other women yelling across the steps as they heard horses together. Um, there's all there's music around. There's always music around. Um, what, what does it sound like? It sounds. What kinds of instruments or there's what's the rhythm or most of it? Not, most of it. <laughs> um, most of it is vocal. Okay. Um, because that's easiest. It's an instrument you always carry with you. But wow. there's also kind of the the scratchy, full-throated humming of, um, of like string instruments, deep barrels. There's a few drums around, just people just play around. But it's a work day, so we're not sitting down really. But there's, everyone's busy. Everyone's busy. But got it. How many people are, are here? There's probably about sixty or so, just yeah. spread out yeah. in a long. But you can see people clustered together in sort of family groups around specific gears. Yeah. But People intermingle. Okay, so so you, uh, Uyanga, you are also going about your work. Which what are you doing right now? I would imagine I am nearby my mother and my sisters, okay. and my grandmother and aunt. I can see um, my father and my brother off in the distance, mm -hmm. um, gathering up our herds on horseback, and hear my brother laughing. Mm -hmm. um, but I kind of shake myself out of a daze as my um, as my grandmother reaches over and slaps me on the shoulder. Yeah. So Dolgun, I imagine is how you pronounce it. Um, it your grandmother is a, a kind-hearted, whimsical, and and uh, wise woman. She she is th this this community is distinctly patriarchal, mm -hmm. but it is amazing how much respect she carries for the people of the Kalka clan. Um, she puts her hand on your shoulder and she says, Well, you look almost too pensive. I wonder if you'll find your way to tend to the herds today. Most likely, as <laughs> usual. <laughs> oh, I used to be as, how would you say, absolutely absent-minded as you. <laughs> You've always had stories in your head like me. And it is those stories that help the lifeblood of these people stay afloat. Much like how 
the eagle's wings carries it across continents, we can still remain above change through stories and through family, the only things that last through multiple generations. But I'm sure you've heard that plenty of times <laughs> before. How about if you had some extra time out there tending to the yaks in their herds, why don't you come up with a new song for tonight? I know it's not normal, but I think it would be very pleasant to have a new occasion to celebrate, as you are coming of age, and I think that it's worth celebrating. Come on, come I'll on. sing about stubborn grandmothers. <laughs> and it will be the most magnificent grandmother ever sung of, if I have ever recalled. She takes her very coarse, thick braid, and she pulls it over one shoulder, and she starts sort of fat refastening it. And she says, <laughs> Well, I might just have a surprise for you when that day does come. Anyway, off to wash some clothes. <laughs> you take care of that. Be safe. And you uh, have a bit of a back and forth where you repeat some, some lyrical phrases that are uh, a, sort of a, a reflection of the identity of your tribe. Uh, and you end up heading out into some of the more open plains. You are old enough and proficient enough in horseback riding and in all of the kind of the herd, the, the yak keeping, the yak herding, um, to be able to completely run this by yourself. So you are taking care of a, a pretty large herd by yourself. They're far out, the grass has begun to sort of wane in your particular region, so the herds are beginning to shift. Your gears have not exactly been take, torn down and moved yet as the nomadic people that your Calvary clan are, but you are, you are going to at least temporarily follow them out there, make sure that they're protected from some of the wild beasts, and bring them back at the end of the day. So that's what you're doing. Yeah. And as you're out there, I want you to roll a perception check. I'm still getting used to D and D Beyond. Okay, that's a nine. Nine. All right. So you are on your horse, and tell us about your horse. So my horse is my horse's name is Sar, which means moon. Is Har. She is very. She's kind of short, stocky. As most step horses are, she's kind of shaggy, but she is uh, very nice. She has like a marking on her forehead that kind of looks like a moon that's in white rather than the rest of her brown. So that's why I call her Moon Sar. Mm. So we, most people don't really name their horses all that much because there's just too many to keep track of. Mm. But I got attached to this one in particular because um, her mother rejected her. So I like hand raised her she was little and I was also little at that point so um, I'm very attached to her which Got it. Yeah. well so you're you're sort of looking out along the horizon here and it's pretty hot if you look far enough out there's a bit of a, like a heat uh, what would you call it? like distortion of lights along the horizon there and it's hard to see anything other than dirt some mostly dead grass. It's time for the herds to move, after all. Uh -huh. And the sun beating down on you and Sar. Um, and as the two of you are sort of navigating the 30 or so yaks that are sort of eating, um, you you believe 
that you see like some maybe some wild animals that are creeping over the hill there um but then at that moment star sort of jostles sort of careers a little bit in place it turns out that he cut a little too close to the herd as they were and he needed to sort of readjust and so you help him out and you look back up and you don't see anything if, if anything they're more than a mile out of reach meaning not really much of a risk you would have plenty of time to react to it if anything were to happen but nonetheless you sort of settle the axe finish your day's work you come back to town and nightfall is just beginning um, uh, it's there are shorter days at this time of year, and so the sun is already beginning to set. People are still making meals and doing some of the more house-like work around the area. Um, and as you come in, um, Dolgun, um, she is there, and she says, "All right, I want to hear it. Why don't you uh, uh, tickle my ears with the the words you were able to come up with today?" So we're going to start singing. And it's, it starts very, very quiet and kind of hesitant as if she's still trying to wrap her brain around things and try to gather her thoughts. But then her voice becomes steadier. She's still... Uh, at this point, um, you, you've already seen that your brother, right. uh, uh, your brother whose name is... His name is Alton. Alton. Uh, has already walked over. Then your father, Tumulin, comes over. There are several others from the family that... Th this is not this is not completely unusual, but it's always very nice when you sing to them because they, they have repeatedly told you, told you that you bring so much life to the family whenever you choose to sing. And it's also new. This is something they have not heard before, and those stories matter a lot. So continue. So her... Her voice is not like an, an opera hall or like recording kind of voice, but it's a very warm voice and it's a very homely voice. It, she's very, very good at what she does, but she just, she sings uh, the things we all know about. It's nothing new or exciting, but it's, hearing her sing is like sinking into a warm bath or sitting in front of the fire. It's home and it's quiet and it's everything they know and love. And she talks about the steps and about the warmth of their fire when coming home in a cold night, about leaning on each other and respecting each other and the history that they, they've had weathering the changes of the world around them by clinging to what they have and what they have had. Right. Very good. Roll performance for him. As bards do. 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 Very, very good. So, um, almost by by the time you finish, these songs tend to go for a while. They're they're fully fledged stories. Um, uh, but in this case, more of a prose, more of a poetic sort of take. Um, by the end of this, almost the entire family is there. Uh, Many of the children, absolutely seated, they, they resume <laughs> kind of like that semicircle in kindergarten oh, yeah. because they are so used to hearing stories told in this way that they have their own spot they sit in. Uh -huh. It's typically very vaguely the eldest on the left, starting with the males, and then you sort of end with the females that are the youngest on the right. But it's not a strict order. It's just That's just where people started sitting, and then they just always sit in those spots every time a story or song is being told. And so you are singing, and they are in rapture. Very, very much uh, attentive. And Dolgoon's kind of standing above uh, several of the little kids and taking care of them. She is beaming. And as soon as you finish, 
many of them are uh, speaking praises, singing in some cases, as they're kind of like taking riffs off of your song and making their own verses from it. Um, especially the kids who are a little louder than they need to be. And <laughs> the, uh, your, your, your grandmother uh, is looking at you and she says, it was a little pitchy in the second stanza. <laughs> I will start paying attention when you have a different complaint to voice. But it was wonderful. There are so many stories. And I notice that you told many stories about here and us. But it is a very, very large world. And we've seen much of it. But we haven't heard many of the stories that are there. It turns out that all of the peoples of this world, they have their own needs and their wants, and you, you will learn what it means to tell their stories as you've learned to tell ours. So please, the next time you meet a stranger, ask them for their story, and you might just find that they are closer than they might first appear. So we're gonna move to your custom perk. Yes. Ooh. I'm picking this up. And it's a bluff, because I didn't print it this time. Uh, um, I'll blend. <laughs> Here's your custom perk. Um, actually, I'm just going to read. Here it is. Your custom perk is called Contact Curator. And here's what it means. Uyanga may roll insight on any non-hostile creature, or may roll persuasion on any friendly creature, someone that is clearly someone that is friendly to you, to discover if they have a quest for your party. In universe, in universe, what this means is that with a high enough roll, everyone has something that they need. There is a very clear um, sort of syntax for how I, uh, it's not random, but how I generate quests for literally any NPC that exists. Some are very short and dumb and boring, and some <laughs> are way out of your league and you should drop immediately. But somewhere in between, there might be ways for you to create what are called contact quests. When you have this contact quest, you, if you complete it, always receive something of substantial value. Um, some, well, some amount of substantial value, depending on the difficulty. In some cases, it unlocks uh, a special ability. It unlocks a merchant. It unlocks a, a what's called a recommendation, which is a way to connect to or be a part of a larger organization. Sometimes, it is as simple as a favor, which is where they are willing to give you something that you ask for um, with, you know, with reasonable bounds in your party's quest in the future. Um, and then Uyanga also has a chance to earn a favor on any quest completion. So even if the base reward is not a favor, sometimes you form a closer connection with them and you get to tell their story. So um, so that is called Contact Curator. I didn't actually give the names of these, so uh, in order, starting from the beginning, you are you have Market Master, Justin has Cross-Weaving and Frequencies, it's kind of two things in one, and Hannah, you have Contact Curator. Nice. I listen so, to the rocks. <laughs> I listen to the rocks. Uh, okay, so... It's not like your grandmother actually, like, there's not like a training montage where she teaches you how to listen to people, yeah. but when she reveals this to you in this moment as you're reflecting on the experiences you've had growing close with these 60 or so people that you know everything about them, you realize that there is more out there, that there are more stories to be told, and moreover, ways for your people's livelihood to be preserved in song and dance and in folk tales. And so, 
as a result of all this, you are just, you sort of just realize it. It's sort of actualized in your mind. And so that that's where your hurt comes from, canonically. Um, yes. At this point, you hear your brother shouting from the southern tip of the tribe's gears. And he says, Everyone, I need your attention. So you're kind of hearing his voice. Um, the Crimson Riders are coming. They're on the southern front. And so then you now see him running in. He is absolutely flustered, and he walks up to you, and he says, Um, ah, Tumulin, father, what do we do? Uh, and he looks at the tribe, and he says, Please, come, as we have before, and as we will for time, we will find peace. Mothers, please get your children into your gears. If you have a weapon, please present here. And over the course of the next few minutes, and you yourself do this as well. Um, you've been trained for enough combat to be proficient here. Um, you, the 12 of you, gather together and are standing in the middle of your gears. Not necessarily back to back, but in a way where you can see all of the five or six tents. Or I guess it's one big uh, little gear there. How many are there? No, there's, there's multiple... Okay, okay. So you're like in a way where you can see all of them at once, basically, to make sure that everyone's safe. Yeah. And what you see coming over, like as soon as they come into view, climbing up the sort of the plateau on the on the horizon, is a group of seven soldiers that are on the backs of rhinoceroses. Um, these <clears throat> troops are easily recognizable by their extremely well-defined, clean, and polished uniforms that are plates of armor with an insignia on the top, and you recognize it instantly. It is the Ruby Empire. But to be more specific, this is one of the, uh, they're called outrider uh, garrisons. They're these outrider troops. Crews of highly trained mercenaries that follow under one captain that all have, to their whim, beasts that they control. And you know immediately that this is the Crimson Rhinoceros. Uh, the captain of the rhinoceros is sort of a, a, a out, outcrop there. So they start riding in, and they're not. Their weapons are not drawn. They are simply approaching. What do you do? I stand there next to my father and next to my brother, and do not say anything. All right. Neither does anyone else. It's almost like they are accepting whatever happens. And they continue to ride, and they get closer, and they are now at the very edge of your encampment, and they stop, rear back, you feel 14 hooves, what are they, what are they called, feet, rhino feet, um, strike the ground in unison as they all, almost for show, um, rear back their rhinos and step off of them. And the captain of the guard, whom you instantly recognize because his helmet is bigger than the others. Uh, it's got like an extra little flare attached to it. He steps off and he says, Good evening, I am Captain Greg Nock of the Crimson Outriders under Lo uh, Lady Velgradia herself, Empress over the Ruby Empire. May I speak to the chief of this village? And he waits very patiently, expectantly, Tumulin steps forward, and he says, 
Well, we do not have a chief here, but I am the father that helps to maintain these lands. And Gregnock steps forward to him right up to his face, eye to eye. They're about the same height. You know that your father looks a little stronger. Um, please be oh, thanks. And he stares not, like, absolutely without any slack jaw, without any averting of his gaze whatsoever into his eyes directly. Let's have a staring contest. Roll for your father. And any modifiers? Just roll. Okay. And we'll, we'll compare. Six. Cool. The two of them, you notice, stare at each other for a long time. Or it feels like a long time, because it is absolutely silent. These six soldiers are on their standing beside their rhinoceroses that are very well behaved and they are doing nothing. They're just waiting at attention with their helmets at their sides. And he and your father are doing nothing. And you and your several other sort of like uncles and siblings are doing nothing. And eventually he goes, all right, then. <laughs> and he sort of inverts his gaze. And he looks back and he says, As an order by the Empress herself, these lands are to be subjugated under the rule of the Crimson Outriders for the foreseeable future. We will return the lands to you at a time that we deem most proper, at which point you will be returned all of the land and all of its beasts therein. As of now, this land, he puts on his helmet, and all of the livestock that you acquire here shall be under our caretaking. We would, do, we would ask you kindly if you could help to bring those over to my men so that we can have them for the immediate future. Your father pauses. And you notice that for a moment his eyes dart to one of the herds of yaks that are outside. A herd that you have birthed, helped birth some of these yaks if they were having birth problems, um, raised them, seen them, grown them, in some cases killed some of them for, for food, and every step along the way giving thanks for those things. And you know what the Ruby Empire would do with these. Consume them and move on, as they tend to do. Despite this show of diplomacy here, you are quite convinced that it is not necessarily for the betterment of the Yaks and everything else, frankly. Your father says, if you would allow me one moment, I would like to speak to my family first. And he says, about what exactly? He says, just as a matter of formality, my people like to do things together, not merely from one man's decree. Or do you not know what that's like? And cap the captain says, you would be wise to watch your step. If your people lower the weapons, you may talk to them. So he turns around and he sort of waves his hand at all of you, as if to say, go ahead and put your weapons down. Do you do that? Reluctantly, but yes. <laughs> so, the 12 of you kind of put down your weapons, and he walks over and he's speaking to you. Your brother's there, a few others of your family are there, and in this little powwow, yeah. <laughs> you're like 40 feet from the rest of them, um, he says, we can find more. The land has always provided and perhaps it was time for us to leave. Leave. Where? Leave. 
the next grazing grounds, we know everything that's there. We know everything that's all around the lake. There, there is nothing else. Well, then we will go to the sea. We have distant family that have mastered fishing in a way that might feed us for the future. The future until when? This, you know they will not give them back. And you know that we cannot find the soldiers. I cannot just sit here. We cannot just sit here and let everything that we have had. Lower your voice, please. We cannot let everything we have had for in every story, in all of our history, be taken from us, be eradicated. How is that better than death? I would rather die with the songs in my mouth than have my mouth full of food. Which means melody. She's hearing this word in her mind. If my family lives, that is the only legacy that I need. You're going to have to trust me. What do you do? She is very quiet. But he can see in her eyes, he knows her. He can see how much she's struggling with this and how much she's fighting and how much she wants to take her sling and whip out a rock and... (laughs) Being that captain on the head, just like she would. Yeah, you have numbers. I mean, maybe, maybe there's a chance. I don't know. She takes a breath and averts her eyes and steps back. He takes that as a signal. He he's kind of understanding your body language. He says, "Sudoku, we will get through this." He turns back, and as I fast forward the clock a little bit, he ultimately surrenders all of your food rations and your livestock. And they are, if nothing else, very detail-oriented. They inventory everything. The captain then says, we'll take the rations we can carry and we will be back by the end of the week. If you so much as attempt to mount any kind of offensive, I guarantee you the might of the iron hammer of the Empress will fall upon you. So let that be a lesson to us all. <laughs> Good day. Helmet on, rhinos, rhinos out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they just, <laughs> they jet out. Revving the, so Captain, they they get revving the rhino revving, no, baby. They do it the horn. It's like, somehow they're, like, I don't know, man, whatever. Um, so they, they take off. And that night, there aren't any songs. And there are always songs. (laughs) Um, It's dark, the families are quiet, and the children are hungry. And you go to sleep, or you go to your gear, and it's hard for you to sleep. You, the words of Captain Greg Knox stick in your mind. And you remember seeing the decaying grass along the grazing hills. And so, as you're thinking to yourself, you see a shadow outside of your gear as someone approaches and enters. And it's Dolgur, it's your grandmother. And she leans down and very slowly, asking for your, like implicitly asking for your hand, 
and getting support as she lowers herself to a kneeling position. She says, I think you made the right choice. But I don't think that it has to end this way. Where would I go? Well, listen to the wind and to your heart and the stories of the people of Chrysalis. You're a smart girl. I think you'll figure it out. And then, out of a knapsack, she pulls something. You've seen it. It carries a lot of weight to your family. But you've never once played it. It's typically reserved for one of the matriarchal figures. Something that she herself used for a long time before her fingers got too... Uh, it was essentially old to, to play Arthritic. It. Arthritic, thank you. Um, and she hands it to you. Can you describe what this instrument is? I have a drawing of it. Ooh. It is a fiddle of a sword. It's somewhere between a lute and a fiddle. But it has a carved horse head on the top and um, strings going down. And yeah, it's it's a very, very special instrument. It has like inlay of different kinds of wood yeah. on it in different patterns. Awesome. Awesome. So she hands it to you and she says, if we are to last and thrive, it may just be through that device you've got there. Thank you for always being a light for us and a song in our hearts. May you inspire others in the great world beyond. Bianca takes the fiddle and she holds it in her hands for a minute. Kind of like she used to do when she was a little girl and her she was sitting by her grandmother while she played it. Um, she reaches up and touches just one finger to the nose of the horse on the top of the fiddle and then she looks up at her grandmother and says I will come back I'm counting on it I would really hate it if I were to die on you before you returned with grand tales of your journey <laughs> I will come back and I will tell you everything I have found you stubborn yak of a woman Yak of a woman am I. Well, then you shall be an eagle. Fly. And I will see you in time. And so Sar, Yunga takes Sar, and she climbs on horseback, takes whatever she can gather quietly, and rides, and rides away from her people and the home she has known her entire life. And, assuming that you find your way to the scholars at some point to learn more about the tales of people and the things they hold most dear, we come back to the present day and you are remembering all of this. What do you do? She, she's holding it in one hand mm -hmm. rather than both. Um, I imagine it's small enough to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so she, she kind of blinks, shakes her head a little bit as she comes out of it, and just kind of quietly lowers it. There's not really, there's not the big 
reactions that we've had from the other two, mm. but just kind of a quiet, pensive wistfulness of and a reminder of what she's working towards and what she ultimately wants to go back to. Got it. Great. Well, you're you're sort of there, and it's, you're just kind of very calm and quiet, and you hear some guy talking about cream cheese, and uh, <laughs> everyone else is there. You notice that there's some classmates that are that are standing next to you closely, and we're gonna find out who they are. Ooh. Time for our fourth player here. Let's go. This Bam. is obviously one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, go. It is time for Claire's character. We are going to meet our friend. So. As you, Lupin, you're staring at the orb that's in your hand, you are sucked in, and you are having memories that echo in your mind. And one of the things that stands out to you is how colorful it is. There's so much texture to this memory that you're feeling. It's, there are times when you attempt to remember your childhood, and it feels more like your grasping through um, like a projector on smoke where every time you were to reach for it it's like it doesn't actually have any feeling to it but you're like wait I now remember what it sounds like and smells like I remember what it, what it tastes like and feels like to be in the Opal Refuge as a child um, before we go into your memory why don't you introduce your character to us tell us what they look like my full name is Lucan Medea Arctica um, my hair is short, it's black in normal daylight, but in direct sunlight it flashes a dark green, like Ooh. really green eyes. My wings make me six feet tall when I'm naturally four and a half feet tall. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Big wings. Um, most people don't see my wings because I don't flash them very often. They wrap around the front of me and then tie in the back together. Very cool. Um, I'm wearing a bear skin. And it's actually the mother of my mm-hmm. pets, which is the wolf bear. She wolf died bear. of natural causes, and we are big on recycling. And we are big on repurposing. Rehoming. Yeah. Rehoming wear bears. So most of what I'm wearing, like my footwear and my overcoat, is is, a, is like a bear pelt. Um, I carry a backpack, a satchel for food. I have lots of bags, but not a fanny pack. Um, I have a scimitar and a short bow, and I have a large locket. It's gold, um, and with a photo of my father in it. Wow. That's great. That's a great picture. Um, A few, like, uh, just like some quick canon clarifications here. Um, uh, Your descendancy would be from Faye, but you're not a fairy or pixie because those are like super small. There is what you're describing exactly would, if people care, is typically for the sylph. Um, more of like a more of like a humanoid. They are. They tend to be shorter. They tend to be slimmer. Um, they have like big wings. Um, uh, so they. I mean, a lazy way of saying it's like a giant fairy. Uh, but basically, you are a silk, and your pet is a werebear. Uh, that's just the term for a bear and wolf. Um, like a sort of like a werewolf bear. Uh, but uh, Fern is the name of your werebear. Am I, am I right, Matt? Uh, and you. Uh, we're gonna go back in time. We're gonna go back to your childhood. You are growing up in the Opal Refuge. And at the moment, you are walking around and as a small child, you are doing the rounds of one of the branches of the forest, particularly the fern forest, or the fern branch, with your mother, Meraldi. 
Um, your mother is responsible for caretaking many of the most remote parts of the protected Opal Refuge. So she is not an official or leader over the people, but instead is responsible for really the forest itself. Um, there's a difference because Countess Ophelia manages those people that are there at the refuge. So as you're walking with her, um, she's teaching you about every little biological detail of all of these plants and animals. And she's, for example, and did you notice that this slug really likes it when there's moss that comes from the fern tree, but only in the winter, because normally he stores his, and she's thinking, right, like reading off all, just like teaching all these basic facts. How does your character respond to that? Uh, I like it, but I'm showing that I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I like that. So, so, so she's just like, actually, why don't you roll deception on that? Let's see if you can hide. Let's see if you can hide your interest. Typically, if your character sheet just says insight on it, you just take that number next to it and you add it to your roll. Right. Because that will always factor in your... It um, was loading your character sheet. Loading? I thought it said me I think it was measuring. No. 15? 15. Okay, cool. Um, well, it turns out that your your mother, as of now, is not able to tell that you're, you're hiding your interest. So she's like, oh, well, um, I can stop. We can we can continue and we can return to your studies in magic if that's what you prefer instead. No, we can keep going. Oh. She seems pleasantly surprised and it's like So the interesting thing about about slugs is that <laughs> <laughs> she goes right, right back into it. Um, but after a while you do return to your studies and she 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 takes you to um, you just finished your rounds at the at the fern uh, branch. You're moving into uh, a few of the other branches. You've got you've got like a like a cypress branch that you're going to. And in the midst of that, she says, "Oh, my dear child, there's something that you have always brought into my life, and I think it's worth sharing. You see life in everything." Even when you were a little girl, you were always amazed at the ways that things create life. I remember when you watched for weeks until a, 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 a group of eggs could hatch into their own larvae. Or when you were seeing if a seed would germinate and sprout into the gorgeous sapling uh, trees that we see today. And believe it or not, something can be said for magic as well. And she pulls from her satchel a small gemstone. It's a ruby. It's like a tier one ruby. It's not super big. So she holds it in front of you, and it's it's got a glow. It is already a spellstone. It can be used to cast a spell. Um, and she says, "This took me a lot of time to master, but I wonder if you will also be able to master this in your time." It turns out that magic is not always a resource that has to be used up. And so just, just to recap how these spell stones work, you have your spell slots, 
and spell slots are the way that you cast spells by holding stones. This is a custom mechanic we'll go more into once we get into like some real combat, and you guys actually have stones that you're working with. But the reason I say all of that as she's teaching you is she says, you know, a lot of the leaders of the world, they think that there is a limited supply of magic gemstones, and when they're gone, then there is nothing left to be had. And the problem is that when there is a limited resource and people are afraid, fear can turn to hatred, and hatred into violence. That's why I want to teach as many people as I can the value of life in magic. She holds up the stone. And as she holds it in front of you, you notice something very weird that is going on. It starts to almost vibrate but like in a wavy, sort of like a warbling kind of way. Stones do not move. Like they're not supposed to jiggle, right? Uh, but it almost looks like it's, <laughs> that word. It, it's almost got this gelatinous look to it. And if you were to Yellow. reach up and touch it, it would feel squishy. Um, and as she is pressing on it, she pulls out a second gemstone. And then a third. And they are all rubies. And she says, we may not have the ability to create our own magic, but if we find uses for magic that would reuse what has already been, and all of them are now warbling in her hands, and she presses them together like this, and she holds it firm, and eventually her arms start to stop shaking, shaking as the sort of the, the wiggling ceases, then we might be able to make something brand new. And she holds it in front of you, and it's a tier two ruby. A spell that is already demonstrably more powerful than what you know is possible in these stones. And then she uses the spell to demonstrate it. She says, if only people knew that those shards they throw away had more meaning, and that the spells that people cast aside could be used for greater healing. There is more to be found, but this magic cannot fall into the hands of anyone. People would use them for their own nefarious plans. But I trust you. You believe in life above all else. And I want to teach you this in case it will be helpful for you. So, your custom work is called Muse Weaving. And here's how it works. Um, so, uh, what I'm giving you is actually a lower version of what she just demonstrated. Spoiler. Uh, because you're not her. Uh, but here's how it works. If Lupin has three of a kind of any spellstone, or five of, or any five of a particular type and tier, so five level one sapphires, um, or three of a kind of a specific spell, she may attempt to weave a muse stone by rolling an arcana or nature check and spending one of your spell slots. If you succeed, the Muse Stone itself acts as a free spell slot for that particular spell. Which means that with that rock, uh, actually, I should just finish reading it. It says, it acts the free cast of the given spell each day. The stone is itself a single use. So if it's a level zero or a level nine, and it is now a Muse Stone, it is itself a free casting of that spell. It doesn't use any of your own spell charges then it is cooled off and it is now just a regular spell stone until the next day, at which point it becomes a muse stone again. 
Um, and that is it. So, Lupin, you now have Muse Weaving as something that you've learned from morality. Pretty cool. Uh, it's a definitely a really it's a really good reason to collect three of the kinds or five of a particular type and tier, like five level two rubies. Um, all that fun stuff. And you're done. So, um, as that happens, the spell that she has handed to you casts, and you see something in your mind. Um, you begin to get visions. And they have this multicolored, extraterrestrial, sort of like ethereal feeling. Like you are both there, but also like a thousand miles above it, watching it at the same time. And you see all sorts of pain that are emanating throughout the continent. You see, at the same time, people in a city, cobblestone streets, caravans and carriages, soldiers and shields, Bodies that are bloodied and laying on the ground. Heads severed, rolling down the street. And people you hear wailing in the distance. Your mind flashes and you see children starving. Um, you see soldiers that are, that are grabbing everything that they can take from a tribe of peaceful peoples. You notice that there are people that have no options in life only subservience, only to be ruled and made into slaves. Um, workers in a king's castle that are being treated as nothing but garbage or worse. Um, and as you snap back into reality, ooh, there goes gravity. <laughs> uh, no, gravity's still there. Uh, and you, yourself, feel this in your heart. And your mother notices it, but she did not see what you saw. So, to your thoughts. Dear, what did you see? I saw Chrysalis a little full of pain. Things that I feel like I can't help with living in the Opal Kingdom or the Opal Refuge. I don't understand. I do not see a relationship between this kind of magic and an ability for you to see torment. But then again, I've never truly been able to understand all of your limitless potential. <laughs> you watch. I have to warn you that the world is full of dangerous people that want to lie or kill or steal and make your life as miserable as theirs because misery loves company. Is that who took that? She pauses. If your father is not there, he's probably doing the same thing that you want to. You've never wanted to find him again. The way of the forest 
is mysterious. We have shared for millennia the reality that the Opal Refuge finds those that are ready for it. I suppose I always assumed that he would come back to me. But if he does not, then it is simply the will of the force. But if you find him, I want you to give him this. She hands you. It is an engraved locket that has been, it's basically as if uh, like a little copper locket, nothing fancy or special, was embedded in the roots of like a tree that then grew through the seams of the locket to basically encrust it in this woven fabric of roots. And then the roots also make up what would be the necklace part itself with a, with a copper clasp that allows you to fasten it. So she gives you this locket. Um, and inside it has a photo of your father. Um, and she, she describes it to you and she, or she, she hands it to you and she says, just tell him that I miss him. Will he remember you? I tell him that story. Okay. Okay. Well, well, your mother is trying to live with the uh, absence of her daughter. Why don't you go and make peace? I wish I knew how to teach you how to do that, but I think you've taught me a lot more than I could teach you in that regard. So go, go before I have to dry these tears in a creek somewhere. Go, go, and make your way home. So I leave. Do you walk out? I hover out. <laughs> I do a little wing hover. Your wings flit as you fly, and the moment that your body crosses the threshold of the Opal Refuge, you gasp, like air was sucked out of your body, and your eyes, the easiest way I can describe this is, if you've ever had a concussion, behind your eyes, there's a flash of light. And that's what, it, what you experience. Not getting hit on the head, of course, but the flash of light. And you stutter and you have to land on the ground with your feet. And suddenly every image of your mother is gray, black and white and textureless and odorless. And you find that you can actually remember pieces of your time. But every day that passes since it feels like they begin to fall away. And so you journey. And ultimately, you find yourself in a place where you can learn maybe where to find your father, perhaps how to teach people the power of muse fusing or muse weaving and what it can do, but ultimately to do your mother's will 
and your own of bringing peace to the nations. So you might as well learn about them. And you are at the Sapphire Scholars. <laughs> and you that. What is your character doing right now? Uh. Sitting on a butt. <laughs> you're sitting, you're just like absolutely just like sitting. Just like, sitting just on like, my butt with my wings unfurled. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, yeah, that's cool. Um, uh, so you're just kind of. I hope nobody steps on them. Those are some big wings. Big wings. <laughs> Those are some big wings. Great. Big great, 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 great. Very big cool. Legs, All right. We have two characters left. Both Wait, of our mining characters. Did we ever meet? Slash, I don't remember it, but did we ever meet? Um, one thing that does happen is that she is present when you are saved. And um, you spend multiple years together, but your problem is you do not remember her at all. Do I see any of it like in that flashback? Do I see her? No. Because you only pull key memories from what matters to you, and that's your relationship with Moraldi. Don't matter. Do I remember you him? will recognize him upon sight. Woo! Oh, boy. So, but like, <laughs> tangible or like gray? It's gray. It'll be black and white. It'll be like a, like a, oh, well, I mean, now that it's been refreshed, oh, sure. it will be there for some period of time. So you, can you do a wisdom save for me? <laughs> it's in the, it's in the I know, bar. I need to. Hold on. <laughs> those are in your original. Well, grab it up. All right, here we are. Those are plus three. It's 15. 15? 15? One five. Very good. Um, all right. Cool, cool, cool. Double. Um, Wait, no, it's plus. Cool. Five? Nothing, uh, nothing of relevance. Is this saving throw? Is this a save throw? Save. Yeah. Oh, okay, 17. Sorry. 17. Okay. Nothing of relevance is happening. Um, so, as of now, you are finished, and if I may, I know that you had some dinner plan kind of stuff you wanted to do. Um, I was just going to make some quick My point pasta. was I was going to have you go next, just so you could you could slip out and do that. If that okay. Was, if that was something that you But wanted. I want her to be part of mine. Oh, no, no, wait. I, I want her to be here for when I say my Oh, I got it. Got yeah, it, it depends more on if people can wait. No. <laughs> no. We're good. All right. Let's let's, my, let's give everyone the, the, my, the field My story's baby. pretty simple. So Same. It does not have to be long. Oh, that's what you think. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, it's time to roll. Final choice. The dice will choose between this minor character and this minor character. Oh, Just kidding. Minor character. <laughs> I wish I was a major character. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, here we go. It is Annie's character. We are going to yeah, meet direct. We're going to meet Prince. Alright, I'm taller now. Axiosa. Prince Axiosa. You Oh yeah, I'm a boy character. This describe your yeah. character right now. What they look like. What they I'm a lie. <laughs> Whoa. Wait, what's Whoa. That's it. So wait. No, I'm just kidding. Lion? Bear? Well, tiger, tiger, tree. <laughs> so I am a Leonin. So I really stay on a t- walking lion, walking talking lion. Um, I chose the boy lion because I have a mane now, which is cool. Just, you walk on two um, or four feet. Two. I'm. It's a humanoid lion. Yeah. Um, but sometimes two. <laughs> so I'm six two. That's nice. Is that like how tall you are? Yes. Okay, I'm as tall as Logan. Is that with the mane or without the mane? 
without the Just main. The main, yeah. <laughs> the main it adds, adds like, yeah, it's a bouffant. Oh, I can imagine if you're standing upright, the main I'll goes draw up like this, like hair. I'll draw myself later, and you'll see. <laughs> but I think you're right. I think it's more like you. Uh, like, oh, it'll probably look suspiciously like Simba. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm a Leonin, and I am going to wear a burgundy cloak, because cloaks are great. Um, and I have chain mail, and I carry this. It's called a war pick. But it's basically like a pointy kind of pickaxe thing, uh, and then a shield. But my shield is really like beat up because whenever I go and mine stuff, I actually use my shield and drag it along the ground to carry the rocks that I find. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't know. Shield surfing efficiency really gets down on the rock roads. Yeah, it's true. Has the wheel been invented? <laughs> uh, there are wheels. Yeah, but I just like my shield. <laughs> okay. Very um, cool. Yeah. Yeah, just your luck. We'll, we'll get everything That's else. That's it. All right, so you're standing there, six foot two, plus main, um, holding your, your orb, and you find yourself entering a trance as you, as you lean forward, and then we take ourselves down to the desert-like, rocky, mostly barren, mostly barren. There's some tall grass, but it's mostly very dry and, and uh, sort of like brown. Um, yellow to Ember Main Pride, a group of Leonin people in the Topaz tribes. But this pride of Leonins, they are, when compared to your average Topaz tribe, a lot more. Um, they're carnivores. <laughs> they're, they they rely on being able to find food survive. And although they have found ways in uh, portions to be able to feed themselves using more renewable foods, like planting some foods or foraging for particular uh, fruits and vegetables, they really are like the lions of old in that they are finding herds, they are sharing the meat, and they are going for the kill. This is a proud people. They have strong traditions. Which also means I do not hunt. <laughs> and they are very loyal. Um, to one another. As we enter the the pride, the Ember Main Pride, um, we're going to uh, uh, join up with our character here. It is nightfall, and we've got about a half moon that is rising uh, along the along the horizon there. And as you are taking your armor and you are placing it after a long day of military training as a young Leonin yourself, you. Your brother, actually, um, uh, comes in, and he says, So, uh, how we feeling about tomorrow? <laughs> Fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I was kind of that way when I went through my ceremony. I think that if you do your best, you've got... A pretty good chance of qualifying, of, of, of actually sort of graduating. But, you know, well, don't say you heard this from me, but I think Dad might go easy on you if you just sort of play up the, oh, I'm your baby boy. Uh, you gotta do some of that stuff. Well, I don't want that. That's not, like, truly, like, doing the ceremony well. Well... I've been preparing you, for it. What? I, it can't be that bad. Look, I've seen it plenty of times I'm not, too. I'm so not I'm like prepared. Fingers. 
or anything, but like if, if you really wanted to do the ceremony the right way, you, you could have taken your studies a little more seriously, maybe actually done the extra training that father assigned you. How do you know I didn't? Have you ever seen your shield whenever you're done with your training sessions it's out in the wild? useful. No. We can tell from your shield. But you're not fighting with it. You're dragging it along the ground like you're using it for like a like a like a wagon or something. It protects me from many hits. These are scratches from claws. You were mining, weren't you? Were you mining? Were you gathering stones for your collection? No. <laughs> So he, he laughed and it, and it like transitioned into like a like a roar as his as his mane sort of ruffles. Uh, he's like, oh, ah, oh, it's, I can't do both. Whatever. I'm a human. What do you want from me? Human. He looks at you. He looks at you. And he says, "Well, hey, don't say I didn't warn you, but good luck, brother." Thanks, bro. <laughs> Oh, uh, good luck, brother. <laughs> and by the way, um, it's supposed to be like super hot out tomorrow, so you might want to ditch the armor and go like all natural combat. Just, uh, just a tip. I don't know. Just from me to you, your choice. I appreciate it, but I'll probably still keep the chainmail. All right, your funeral. <laughs> I think I can handle it. So he he walks out. And you're sitting in your room, and you are thinking about the ceremony tomorrow. This rite of passage for those coming of age within the Leonin tribe, males exclusive, is all about being a self-sufficient individual contributor to the tribe, which is made up of a few things, but is primarily focused in combat and then defense. Your ability to protect others and to fight for what's right. Uh, and in that way... Um, you are reminded of a weapon that you rarely use um, in combat because it has a lot of sentimental value to you. And you pull it out. You go into one of your storage areas and you pull it out and you lift it. When you were younger, despite being the youngest of four boys and three other girls, but the, uh, you know, we, uh, they don't matter too much in this tribe. Which is, wait, they're the hunters. Well, they're hunting then. They're okay. away from home. That's um, fine. That's true. That's true. We we can say that they're hunting right now. But as a as a as a pretty distinctly patriarchal society, what your brother? So my main point is that despite being the youngest of four brothers, they all of them were shocked when in your grandfather's passing, your grandfather Luxon had a will, and in his will, he wanted to give his legendary war pick to the son that he believed would best carry on his legacy. And despite being just a wee little cub at the time, just like tiny little mane, little flicky tail oh, bouncing yeah. around, baby Simba. This five, like like five and a half foot long war pick with a three and a half foot long head was willed to you. And to be honest, it, it was obvious to you growing up that just that choice made your brothers really resent you. Um, and some of them were better better at hiding it than others. For example, for example, Zagrion, he has been much better about the, the brother you just spoke to. He's been much better about supporting you as a brother. This is a war pick, by the way. Yeah, okay. But 
you discovered a real passion for the stones in the area, going into little deposits and holes and into the red rock earth and finding these forms of magic. Something that was mostly disregarded by the people because they they cared much more about combat um, and much more about the values of the Leone pride. But as you were holding this, you remember when it was given to you. Well, you remember when you were taught what it meant by your father, his words. Your father, King Zareth, he said, Thou son, it's important that you know why your father, why your grandfather referred to this as Star Crusher. No word. <laughs> he told me when I was a little cub, just like you, that this pickaxe, that this, sorry, that this war pick carried in it mystical properties which can do things that are harder to describe than they are to simply experience. So, whenever you swing this pit, give it all of your might and let out a roar. And the (laughs) (laughs) He genuinely laughs. Um, And if you put your full heart in the swing, your full heart in the roar and might in the swing, then the spirits of our ancestors will come through. Okay, Dad, I will! (laughs) All right, all right. Tussles. (laughs) (laughs) Now now go back to your den there. You you are absolutely unable to drag that thing along. It's way too heavy. He's like, I'll I'll help you. So he tells you, carry it. It is now... The night before the ceremony, you were holding oh, this in your hands. You have used this. <laughs> you have used this particular war pick on all of your little private mining expeditions when you are slacking off in your training protocol, um, and you go to sleep, trying as best you can not to be too excited about the day to come. The next morning, you hear trumpets. <laughs> Am I? Am I late? Okay, I rush out the door. Am I late? Uh, you can still make it. (laughs) Rush! You are sprinting. And your brother... I'm sprinting on all fours. I, like, put the war pick on my back, and I'm like... Your brother, Zaxxas, sees you running out. He's like... (laughs) I can still make it! Squirt's gonna miss the ceremony. (laughs) Uh, I'll be fine! So you, you sprint your way in, and, and you're, you are still respected by the young of, uh, of the pride because you, are, you have a very strong stature. You were pretty naturally gifted in terms of your physical attributes. Um, and, I'm, and I'm pretty kind, like and generous. Yeah. Like so, I, I'm lawful good, and so I, I'm yeah. I, I'm not like mean to kids or anything. Yeah. So, but as you are running in, you do notice that some of your sort of like your aunts and uncles, and maybe like some some just other villagers that like live there are sort of chuckling under their breath, almost like they're saying, "Yeah, that's definitely Axios." Uh, there he goes, the prince, the prince himself. And so you you run to the ceremony, and the ceremony is a big word, but it's really just like 30 people, um, all Leonin, that are seated in sort of a little mini coliseum that is built in the, a natural enclave on a cliffside, just mm-hmm. sort of sitting there. The cliff only about 100 feet up, so to speak, not like this like massive mountain. 
Um, and as you were seated, as they are seated there, you run in your father, King Zephyr, does a pretty traditional war to start the ceremony, like a bell ring being rung or a gun being shot. Uh, and it is of a particular cadence that has very specific meaning. It's the same one that would be used to say fight or start combat, like if you were initiating a charge for cavalry. Um, that is the roar that he uses. And you know, right when you arrive, that your father was not waiting for you. It's already begun. Um, and immediately you see three of your brothers turn, and they have shields, and they unsheath their swords, and they're all facing you in a little triangle. And then they throw the swords to the side, and they hold up a fist in their hand instead. You are there with your war pick against all three of these, and you are going to fight your brothers in combat. And I'm allowed to use my war pick against them? Okay. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're wearing armor. They're wearing just like the normal paladin armor that you would expect. So, all right, let's roll. I'm going to roll for them, and you're going to roll for yourself. We're going to see if you do even remotely well. <laughs> oh, what what am I adding? What's happening? It's just your weapon attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a sixteen to hit. I don't know what you want. Is okay, this yeah. an, an attack? Thing? Uh, just go ahead and roll three times. Okay. Uh, the raws were eleven, twelve, ten, and then a, the hit DC is plus five. Oh, 15, 15, 16, 16, 17. 17. Cool. I didn't know um, if you wanted damage or, or hit. No, not damage, just to hit. Uh, okay. So, as you're fighting these guys, you keep trying to swing your pickaxe at them, and every single time, they're pretty fast. They're Uh-oh. using techniques that you remember being Uh-oh. taught at one point about, like, pivot, and then step, and then lunge, but you're like, I, wait, is it the lunge first or the pivot step? And they are using it to humiliate you. They have fists, and so what'll happen is you'll swing, and you'll like sort of get a glancing blow, but it doesn't do any meaningful damage, and then they'll just take a fist and sock you upside the face. And over time, you're starting to bruise. Specifically, two of your brothers get like pretty good hits on you with their fist, but they're using their shield to block your attacks. Um, Do it again. Three times? Yeah, you only hit one of them enough to like knock the wind out of him, and he steps back, he's like, hey, good one, Axios. 11, 17, The trumpets keep playing. (laughs) And as you're fighting, you continue. And you're trying so hard, and you get one good hit. The the butt of your your war pit comes in and strikes underneath the plate of uh, uh, one of your brothers and spins him off to the side as he gets knocked to the ground. He's like, whoo, okay, that was a good one. And your other two brothers come in, and you try to swing at them, you hit a grieve, and that grieve sucks you in the stomach, and you're keeled over. <laughs> the other guy, while you're distracted, comes in and basically just cr- chops across the back, and you go boom, and you fall to the ground. Last round, give it a shot. Ow. <laughs> you knocked out one of them, if I didn't make that clear. So you only do two. Oh. Uh, that's correct, yeah. Just re- uh, take your two bets. Merry Christmas. <laughs> A 19 and a 21. Oh my Ooh, gosh. Okay. So, wow. let's, let's walk through this. So you're on the ground, and the two of them are there, and they're kind of just, like, sparring with you. They're kind of, like, egging you on, but it's kind of good-natured, you know, like, but they, you know that they would love to humiliate you today. 
So you're on the ground. One of them's already out. He's kind of like tapped out. He's like, oh, he got me good. Um, and the other two are there, and one of them is talking to the other. He's like, come on, I thought it wouldn't be this fast. All right, let's do it. And they're about to strike you. What do you do? Um, I want to do like a like a link roll away. <laughs> like, a, like a like a side roll or a yeah, forward roll. Yeah, I'm gonna do a side roll over here. Okay, you you somersault, <laughs> and, then, and then you hear people in the audience be like, oh, "What is this? Which man? Where did he learn this?" And oh, then I'm gonna like fake back, like and the, like dodge okay. and then lunge. Okay, so and a little then, bit of faint into a lunge. Yeah, and then and then what for, what for the other one? Um, and then him, I'm gonna like. Hold chill. Oh, is he like to my left? Oh, yeah, hold chill. Okay. Sure. So you do that, and then the guy, he thinks he's pretty confident. He comes in, he goes for like like a hook and really, really lunges at you. But when you faint him, he loses his balance because the weight of his shield draws him forward. And you find an opening right here across his, his breastplate to clock him with your war pick. Yeah. So he goes, Boom. And he, you actually get some like lift on him as he flies back. And the, his plated armor hitting the ground is loud. It's like clang, 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 clang as, as he lands. And everyone's like, oh. And you would hear some of the kind of the elder males like, oh. And now you hold your shield, and the other guy comes in. And he, so he's got greaves, right? He's not like, he's not like bare-fisted, but he comes in and he punches and you absolutely absorb it. You were short-footed. What do you do last? What's your um, final, what's your final so move here? So I, I imagine like, because I sort of like shield, um, he like sort of like is stunned for a second because mm-hmm. he's just done like a really big attack. So I kind of just want to like drop the war pick and just kind of come in for just like a really good punch in the face. Oh, <laughs> oh my God, dude. I- Drop your shield if No my war pick. Yeah, your war pick. You drop your war pick. You decide to do this, I'm going to make you re-roll your attack. Because you're about to style on this guy. Okay. And we're gonna see who wins. Good luck. Hope you don't humiliate yourself. Punch! It's an eleven! Well your brother rolled 14. No! No! already bruised pretty badly from several socks from these greaves. You drop your pick as the elder males are like already cheering from your previous hit and you go in for a falcon punch on this this guy here and as you are striking in, his hand opens and grabs you. And he goes, he looks at you for just a beat, enough for you to really look him in the eye and he says (laughs) Too bad. And pulls your forehead into his. Oh, oh snap! Ow. Ow. Ow! You are not wearing a helmet because in this rite of passage, oh. no Leonin wears a helmet. But despite the fact that he uses bare head to hit you, you <laughs> fall backwards unconscious. Uh, I feel the embarrassment. Oh no! My head hurts. <laughs> only a few moments later, you're only out for a little bit. Uh, only a few moments later, some water splashed on no, your face. No, great. And it is your father standing over you. <laughs> no. With a very loving expression. <laughs> With a very disappointed. No! no! I don't want to be here. He looks down at you and down on you. And he says, Axios. No. Hey. Uh-huh. 
Dad. <laughs> My father gifted you a legendary war pick. And you drop it in combat to swag on your competition. <laughs> <laughs> there was roaring. I thought it might work. I, I, I in, ret in, in retrospect, I don't want to hear your excuse. <laughs> the best idea. I know this is an exercise, but if this were combat, you would have been killed. Yeah. If you were to be a defender of these people, he gestures to some cubs running around uh, and their families. If you were to be a defender for these people, it cannot just be about you. You spend your days collecting rocks. You should be spending them mastering your training. Okay, Dad. Look, I'm sorry. I I'll do better. I'll I'll take my training seriously. I hope so for your sake. He turns to the crowd. He says, "Well, it is fortunate then." that the next step in the Rite of Passage, and the final one, will give Axios a chance to reflect on his choices. It is customary at this time that those coming of age would go on their own journey and be exiled for two weeks. Surely he will find what it takes to survive. And if you do not, well, come back when you're strong enough. Take your grandfather's neck and go, he whispers under his breath. I don't say anything. I, I'm kind of like, <laughs> so I just, I just do that. I just silently. He turns and almost like he's trying to reclaim his composure, he says. May Axios be wished well on his journey, that he would return strong, independent, and capable of guiding these people. And then he lets out a mighty roar. Oh, and then you, you hear a cacophony of 30 more as they signal your departure. The roar that he gave as you're leaving it's not the same one he used to initiate the trial by combat. It was a roar that is used in a variety of different reasons. One, it is typically used as a sign of formal goodbye, like maybe delegates or diplomats might use for other tribes or perhaps for other cities and regions. On top of that, it is typically used as a way of mourning, um, as though to the people of the Leonid tribe, you are dead, and if you return triumphant, you will have been reborn. They roar, and you have those memories of every time you watch your brothers one by one leave the pride and then return, having learned a new skill or acquired, um, you know, a, a new, like, allies or friends or perhaps simply grown stronger during their two weeks in isolation. And you go into the wild, and it is really hot, and you have no water. You always have the choice to go home, um, but you will be permanently ostracized for not being able to make it 
during your time in the wild. And it is hot and it is dry and frankly, you don't really know where you're supposed to go or what you're supposed to do. What's your character doing and thinking? What are you feeling right now? Really like frustrated. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Like, I just don't really like this situation at all. <laughs> Uh, I, I think, uh, thinking to myself, I'd be like, my brothers probably took this a lot more seriously than I did, but I just, like, don't have the willpower to do that. I'm just, like, I feel hot, and I am ashamed of, like, the fight, and I'm just kind of, like, just kind of pouty butt. Uh, <laughs> and so, I'm currently, like looking for water i just want to like find some somewhere to rest let's say and, that eventually you do find an oasis that you okay great from. um what i'm thinking is like it's really frustrating to me that uh this journey thing like doesn't have a discreet answer it's like i i don't know what i'm supposed to do how do i go back and prove that i've like grown or learned something and what I like about mining is there. there's no question to it. It's you do the thing and you get a gemstone. It's discreet. And that's like the output of what you do. Um, and so I'm thinking to myself and I'm like, maybe I could just like extend this, this, this uh, exile that I have here and take a gap year. <laughs> a gap year. Uh, um, uh, and so I think to myself, like, maybe like I would maybe I would like maybe find some use in this mining thing that I like because I know other places in the world do this because it's valuable um and so I'm like maybe I'll just go to college <laughs> so, while, so you're, you're sitting by this oasis and you're thinking about this yeah. you're kind of lost in your thoughts what you do not observe is that two lizard folk have snuck up on you and they begin to pounce hoping, Rude. just so you know, to kill you and steal your armor. I'm um, gonna beat them up. They get a round of surprise. Congratulations. Well, how dare they? <laughs> and, oh wow, actually one of them does hit you. Your armor's pretty insanely strong, but it's like... It's 18. Yeah, they, yeah, he got it. So, you get, he jumped, they, these two lizard folk, with their sort of dotted eyes that are darting everywhere, they, they pounce, and one of them, while your back is turned, are able to get in, and he slashes underneath the weak spot under your arm, and blood is already pouring from that. It does not look good. What do you do? Uh, are they both within 10 feet of me? They are. I immediately roar very loud. <laughs> All right, read what that does. Uh, so as a bonus action, once per short rest, uh, creatures within 10 feet that can hear me have to succeed a wisdom saving throw, DC 14, um, or become frightened of me until the end of their next turn. Because I'm very upset that they interrupted my rest by this water, because I'm tired and bad. <laughs> so you you roar and the two of them are there with their swords, with their swords drawn That's my roar. and you're watching their feet, their stance. Do they shift? Do they turn? Do they look at each other quizzically like they don't know whether they're going to continue fighting? Do they retreat? And instead their feet shift to lunge and you notice that neither of them have been shaken in any way That's whatsoever. Dumb. <laughs> wow. And it is time to fight. Go ahead and give me just two combat rolls. Okay. Do a quick combat. Uh, 15 and 15. Are those your base rolls? No, that was plus hit these. Okay, got hit. it. Um, okay, 
Uh, you hit both of them, and they both miss you, so congrats. Um, uh, you start kind of whacking into them. They're still alive. Go ahead and roll again. <laughs> uh, nat 20 and a 16. Very nice. good. For a reason that you'll see in a moment. Ooh. In this moment, you feel like you have no purpose. You're in your lowest you've been. You're humiliated by your brothers, partially because you were kind of cocky enough to try to take them on on their, on their terms. Yeah. Um, your father's obviously disappointed in you. He may not even believe that you're gonna make it back after all this. And you know that the only way, the only future for you is to just go and aimlessly take a gap here and learn about how to make yourself stronger. This is not a good time. And as yeah. you're getting attacked by these two lizard folk, one who's already slashed you, you are filled with a form of determination that is so strong, it almost seems foreign to you. Is it willpower? <gasps> Maybe. <laughs> it is. Oh, is boy. It, is that what this is feels it like? Discipline? Couldn't what? be me. Disgusting. <laughs> Couldn't be me. <laughs> you now ready your shield and your war pin. You set your feet the way your father taught you and that you practiced in training sessions with yeah. your siblings. And using the, the strength in your waist to help pivot the massive force of this war pick, you raise it. And you not only strike one, but then use a sweeping motion to use the same swing and crit yeah. on the other yes. one. Yes! And when you crit on the other one, <laughs> as they let out these sort of cries of pain, and you see the head of your war pick explode in multicolored lights. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> it glows and shatters. Almost like the rainbow was split in front of you. Wait, is it fine? Sh Define shatters. The light shatters. <laughs> okay, great. Does he happen to unleash a very powerful roar at that same moment? Just curious. I'm probably kind of like growling. Hey, you're a good DM. Maybe you should not take my job. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is actually exactly what happens. Okay. And you hear the iconic roar of your grandfather, Luxon. <laughs> Shout from the head of the pickaxe as you destroy this poor fellow, uh, <laughs> this poor lizard folk, no, and both of them lie dead on the sandy shore there. Some here or something. That was rude. <laughs> As you were looking at these two bodies on the ground, you noticed something around you, scattered in little pieces. Roll a d4. One. Well. You notice that in front of you are two shards of gemstones that spawn from the axe itself. What? <laughs> and there, I'm gonna borrow this, thank you. Go ahead and put these in your inventory. What? One of the shards is a ruby shard, and the other is a black jade shard. Ooh! No! That just out of the air oh. as the okay. might of your soul when connected to your ancestors spawned them from the veil itself. And as you're standing there <laughs> Drakings of the past completely mystified you pick them up I presume uh, and no, then you would give, give it like put them inside the pouch of the lizard boat <laughs> you wanted this you right? can have this <laughs> and you take them on your journey you must have dropped these yeah. Annie you have the perk Mystic War Pick. 
Every time Axios' Warpick rolls a mod 20 or higher on an attack or mining check, it magically generates your level times... Oh. Okay, cool. I had you roll the wrong die. Uh, roll a d8. Six. Six. Great. Yeah, because you're supposed to get more shards than that. I guess they're just shards. So. We have to learn they're, used, we they're used for a lot of things. Um, yeah. Okay, you get two diamond shards, one emerald shard, one sapphire shard. What? How many is that already? Wait, say it again. Two, diamond, two diamond shards and one sapphire shard. And, and an then you said emerald? Oh, and one emerald shard, yeah. Am I, including the two shards? Yeah, am no, I discarding no, no, no. I just those? Want six total. Am I discarding the two you already gave no. me? Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six. Great, that's, that's it. it. That's what you got. Okay. So when I said pieces, I in my mind I was thinking more. They're, they're, okay, there they are. Sharks, you pick them up. They're yours. Congratulations. <laughs> so then you take your war pick with the memories told of your of your grandfather's do deeds, and you travel to the Sapphire Scholars to take a gap here. Uh, and you are here. I'm going to school? Nope. Yeah. And you appear. You kind of re reclaim yourself. I'm like yourself. maybe it'll give me some discipline. It's like. Going to uh, go to Westwood. You go to rehab. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. What are you thinking? What are you doing right now? Am I? I've just you're, come you're back, back out of it. You're back. I'm sort of like inspired by myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like I'm so inspired. That was a cool so thing. Cool. I'm really I'm glad that I'm here. <laughs> so I'm like I'm really like it, it has it renewed my determination to like sort of be here and improve myself. And have willpower. <laughs> willpower. Awesome. Okay. Um, <laughs> great. So, you are, yeah, great. Absolutely fantastic. And as you're reclaiming your memories, we go to our final player character introduction. Oh boy. Which is... Logan! Logan! Wow. <laughs> Let's go! Okay, so, we are going to... Into the crystal ball, uh, over. Should I describe myself? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you okay. tell us about you? Uh, so, uh, hello. I am a hello. seven foot eight inch tall, white, uh, kind of like marbled uh, white Goliath, uh, with one of the dominant characteristics of my character, which you won't see till I open my eyes. Is I have chromatic mother of pearl eyes, uh, kind of as if you were to take. Uh, the twinkling from stars up in a perfectly clear night sky and infuse that into my irises. Um, I have white silvery hair, uh, reminiscent of a clear night, and I am just wearing some simple monk-looking robes. They're blue with silver trim, uh, nothing to speak of realistically. Uh, yeah, that's how tall I am. Very cool. Awesome. Well, so you Oh, yeah, and I weigh... 300 something pounds. <laughs> exactly. Only 300? Yeah. I weigh like a mountain. 310. <laughs> there you go. Specifically. It's all right. You can uh, gain weight over the journey. Just be bigger over time. <laughs> just, uh, like every day. Uh, so as, as you're sort of towering over your fellow students um, and like the halfling that's like six feet lower than you talking about <laughs> Craig G's over there. Um, <laughs> y'all, y'all are... Uh, <laughs> I really want to know what memory he's having right now. <laughs> like, that's where my brain goes. But you you go into this memory and um, we are going to sort of have a visual effect. You are drifting over 
the landscape of the mountains of the northeastern parts of the Amethyst Kingdom. We're outside of the mountain enclave that makes up the kingdom, meaning that this is not under the King Adaron's, King Adaron's jurisdiction. It is instead just different kinds of tribes of people that live there in the mountains. And many of these come from races like dwarves and often Goliaths, who themselves are not welcome within the city's walls without proper paperwork to the T. I mean, all sorts of documentation. Instead, we're going to a relatively simple uh, place. A place called the... All right, Aurora Hollow. This is at... Not at the very top, but about two-thirds up one of the mountains, Mount Aurora, you have a large opening to a natural icy cavern, on the inside of which is a herd of hunters and gatherers of a warlike people known as the Auroran Herd. And they don't have a very strict and rigid, you know, like, class or political system or leadership system. Instead, it is about those who can work eat, and those that eat grow strong, and those that are strong, they may work. That's their code of life. And the Auroran herd, they happen to live in a place that is only really uh, uh, given sources of food by way of large, like, mountain beasts, goats and elk and moose, but also some of the birds that are there that they have to hunt by hand because many of them are too large or scary to handle with any other mechanisms. And therefore, these Goliaths are trained from birth to be able to be these kinds of warlike hunters. But the Auron herd has a problem. And this problem, this, the problem's name is Aegon. Um, at seven years old, we enter and look at Aegon, who is out holding one of his little javelins, a little throwing spear that he's supposed to use to hunt some of the birds that are on the mountainside. It's not even in his hand, it is on the ground because he's staring straight up into the sky. What, what are you doing right now? What I always do. Tell us. I'm, I'm looking at the stars, man. What do you see? We're on a mountain. Yeah. I, have, I have a clear view of every galaxy in the sky. Wow. This celestial masterpiece of twinkling red, green, yellow lights just shining through this massive plane of void darkness shining through to reach us. As you're standing there, a foot <laughs> kicks you with enough force to send you like three or four feet forward. Um, and you look up, you're small, they're big, you're young, he's huge. Um, and you see a very large bald, sort of like, he's got like a bit of scraggly hair here and there, and he's got some facial hair going on. Um, he's got that marbled skin that you just described. Um, he is like eight feet tall. He kicks you, and then you look up and realize he didn't even know you were there. He goes, oh. Aegon. What are you doing here? So basically. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I was, uh, hunt I was out hunting. It's hunting. Yeah. He reaches way down, <laughs> picks up your little javelin, and he hands it to you, and he says, You must kill two birds to eat tonight. <laughs> Go! He's uh, pushing you. You can't even physically resist him. He's too strong. <laughs> <laughs> so you're getting, sho you're getting shoved along. 
by uh, this man. This is your father. His name is Jorgon. Uh, and as, as Jorgon is ushering you along, you notice that other uh, Goliaths of all sizes, I mean, really all sizes, are going out and they're hunting. That is what you do. And you eat what you catch, and anything that's left over that you cannot eat, which is almost always nothing, because everyone eats as much as they possibly can at every single mealtime, gets sort of put into a reserve and given to mothers that happen to be um, nursing children. That's it. Nobody else gets any food of any kind unless they can catch it themselves. So you are, you're kind of going, you're just old enough to where it is absolutely expected that you were able to feed yourself. Nursing mothers are not prioritized? Nope. Okay, continue. Yeah. There tends to be enough leftover food for, like, the babies and whatnot. Anyway, yeah, we're fine. How it goes? Okay. Don't worry about it. Okay. Um, as, you, as you continue, um, this trend continues for weeks. You're, you were just sort of released on some of your first hunting days, but over and over again, your family and your father especially are covering for you. They, they are secretly giving you food so that you can eat, but they have to do it outside of the, the tribal uh, sort of community meals that everyone eats together over the fire. Um, and so over time, word starts to spread that the family, that Jorgon's family, is weak. And they should, all of them, be cast out because they're bringing down the herd's ability to survive. I don't feel good about this. Jorgon, on certain days, would force you to come with him and learn perhaps other more clever ways of trying to find food. Instead of just outright spearing birds as they flew by, laying traps in certain places, or perhaps trying to find where their eggs are so you can use that as your way of sustenance. But if you are not catching it, then you are not eating. And ultimately, it is discovered that you are being given scraps by your brothers and your father. And your father does not plead ignorance, he does not plead innocence as soon as it is brought to the attention of the other leaders, so to speak, of this group, the other father, uh, fatherly heads. He looks at them and he says, I made my choice. And the others say something along the lines, I'll, I'll do a little bit of fast forwarding. They say something along the lines of, if your son is unable to feed himself, and if you are breaking our code just to keep him here, then you will produce generations of weakness. We have to cast him out. And so he your father, he, again, I'm doing some fast forwarding here, he doesn't seem able in any way to prevent this from happening. Ultimately, with all of these mighty Goliaths in tow, you are picked up and you are walked across the peak to the other side of a barren mountain so, so far from home. And you're dropped into the snow. And they say, if you can survive here, then maybe we'll let you come back. Good luck. And they walk away. And you're by yourself. You have a javelin. <laughs> well, uh, can I scan my surroundings yeah. on the, this peak of the mountain? Yeah, uh, go ahead and roll perception. Perception. Oh, I can do uh, Yeah, I'm gonna... Oh, no. 
I was so ready, and now I'm not. Oh, please. Uh, perception is on advantage. It will be... Twelve. Eighteen. Okay. Um, with an eighteen, you notice that off in the distance, the horizon is so close to your elevation from a perspective that you are able to see different stars in sort of like a like a 200 degree arc um or sorry like a 150 degree arc and that ends up being really special because you can actually turn and see light that travels like a shooting star from one to another and back but then when your eyes focus you see more than that you see a bridge of light being constructed almost like this sort of road is floating above you multi-colored, sparkling in the sky. And every part of that is mesmerizing to you. But the weirdest thing about it is that the one end is over there on the horizon, infinitely far away. But then the other end is coming towards you. It's descending, actually. And now it's at your feet. It's literally at your feet. You almost wonder if stepping on it would cause you to fall several hundred feet off the cliffside or if it would actually hold your weight, but it feels so real. What? Can I do you down do? and touch it with my hand? Try it. Uh, all right. Uh, I will. Okay. You, when you reach down, <laughs> your hand pushes and it resists you, but then ultimately you phase through it. And you're, stand, you're standing there sort of completely taken aback as to all of this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> then, you see an image. It's more of a ghost. A walking figure that is on this road. What? Floating now down the road, down the slope, to your position. This figure is of a man, a very old man, almost uh, so old you'd be surprised that he's alive. Wrinkles here, very hunched, very slow steps. No walking cane or aid of any kind. He's making his way. His gait actually seems steady, very natural, but he's taking his time. He gets there. You notice that he's got his like white, like super white hair pulled to like a very fine beard here. And otherwise his hair drifts back pretty long and it's bound in like a ponytail. And he looks at you, his visage only black and white, still mostly a specter. And he says, well, what are you doing on this mountain, little one? What else do I do? I'm looking at the stars. <laughs> do you want to touch the stars? <laughs> More than anything. <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> His ghost, from your perspective, because you're looking up at him on the road, reaches out to the image of a star in the distance, what? and then closes his fist around it, and when he moves his hand, it's no longer there. Yo! Yeah! Oh! Magic Man Grip Star. Magic Man Grip And then he holds it in front of you, his fist closed, and he says, well, go on. 
touch him, and he opens it. And you see a multicolored crystal of source. It doesn't make any sense to you. It doesn't look like anything you've ever seen. It is glowing. Its shape is constantly changing. Um, and it gets brighter and dimmer and brighter and dimmer, kind of like how flickering stars might look in the night sky. And you can reach out and touch it if you want. I do. <laughs> can I grab it? Yeah. So you go to, you go to grab it. <laughs> and he goes, well, actually, you go to grab it, and the energy shoots through your body like adrenaline. <laughs> the moment you touch it, literally every single one of your fingertips is sparking, like, with color. Like, you have no idea what this is. You've never seen anything even close to this. And then over time, and, oh, and by the way, it kind of hurts. Like, it's going through your body, oh, yeah, and, it. like, you, it, is, it is a little painful. Um, like, think of it like a, like a sunburn. Like a, like a oh, pretty great. bad sunburn. I don't know if you can imagine that. I can't. Okay. No, me? Couldn't be me. So, at that point, um, it fades, and so does the sparking. But even in that moment, your eyes, which have always had this really interesting hue to them, now glow. They have this crystalline, uh, what'd you describe it? Peridot color to them? Uh, Mother of Pearl. Mother of Pearl, goodness. Uh, and And as you are looking at him, he says, the visage, the ghost. He goes, now that is very interesting. What? What? You may not understand now, but if you want, you can come with me, and I can teach you about the stars. It turns out you might have something to teach me. Uh, so, before you got here, I'll be honest. Tried to walk on the road. Didn't work. I almost fell, but I didn't. I can't follow you. Can, do you have a fix? Take my hand. And he reaches it out to you. You're very old. <laughs> I fear for your strength. I don't want to hurt you. Don't underestimate an old man, young boy. All right. Well, what else do I have to lose, I suppose? <laughs> so I will take his hand. The moment you grab his hand, exclusively and only the parts of his hand you are touching are not only physical, but you can see the color. You see his skin. You see the hairs on the back of his hand. Where you touch becomes real, and he pulls you up onto the colored road here, and your steps now make the road real, firm, whole. You step onto this sort of rainbow in the sky, and he says... All right, well, let's go. And he turns and starts walking very slowly. <laughs> uh, I have a question, if you're interested. Yes. I'm pretty heavy, pretty strong. You want me to carry you? <laughs> we can get there a little faster. I'm just cold. We're in the sky right now. <laughs> well, I hope that my back can handle the exertion, the exertion, but nice. thanks. Um, <laughs> I mastered the stars, not my vocabulary. Right? <laughs> I don't even know what But I will accept the gesture. And what was your name, young lad? 
I'm Dagon. Dagon. That's me. My name is Master Varelli. And I think you and I will have a, a pretty uh, fun adventures together. So let us come. And he slowly climbs onto your back. And your feet are as solid as they could be. You want to go? Yeah. All right. Run. I want to run. I'm going to run. Roll acrobatics to see if you fall off and die. Uh, Okay. It's uh, pretty good. It's actually really good. (laughs) Acrobatics, you said? Yeah. Specifically? Uh, It's honestly just dexterity, but like... Five. Okay. So, uh, 17. Okay, great. You don't um, die. Or 16 so, if you want athletics, you which just is what I assumed. You, you get well, over the top of the first hill, and then you just, like, slide. You're oh, like, sick. Woo! And you just, like, kind of zip down into this rainbow road. Rainbow road! Um, <laughs> you you, you travel... Like more dangerous than running. <laughs> <laughs> you travel a little bit, and the, 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 the journey is not short. Like, it's honestly probably a few days. Um, uh, but every step, every time that you feel your body experience really any kind of hunger, it then goes away. And every time you feel thirsty, it vanishes. And you suddenly find yourself, after days of travel carrying this ghost of a man, you get back to this, um, oop, yeah, thanks, this flat chrome in its design. Oh, uh uh-oh. I don't know what it does to the stream. We'll find out. Um, You find yourself at this sort of chrome building. Um, It's got a very plain face, white stone, snowy surface, um, slanted roof. It's got some ornate corners to it, but as you walk into it, you notice that it's really a pretty large sanctuary, kind of like a, a dojo kind of building, but only for one man. It's... Master Vereni, sitting in the middle of the room when you walk in. There's a ghost on your back, and Master Vereni's eyes closed in the middle of the room with his hands held together like this. And he opens his eyes and he says, Ah, well, thank you for bringing my visage back. And then he sucks the soul back into himself. And he's like, I wasn't sure exactly how long you'd be able to carry that, but uh, you seem like a very strong boy. Why? Thanks. <laughs> Why? I, well, I mean, it wasn't very heavy, let's be honest. It's very ghost That's good, that's good. I've been practicing a diet recently of mostly crabs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. I'm very very curious to see where you get those crabs. <laughs> oh, I'll teach you everything that I know. In fact, I was looking for a strong fellow like yourself to help me with some of the tasks around here. If you wish, we can teach each other what we know. All right. Very so, cool. So, so I'm going to do a little bit of fast warning. You grow up under the care of Master Vereni. It is mostly the two of you. Every now and then on a one-year basis, you the sages will meet together and share their insights with each other, mostly about predictions for the year to come. And you, when you were older, would accompany him and vaguely know of the other leaders. But to be honest, it was mostly you, Master Vereni, and every month or so, travelers who come to him for his wisdom. Um, so it was really just the two of you most of the time. Do they bring and crabs? What's up? Do they bring crabs? <laughs> It turns out that there are some uh, sort of like Alaskan crabs that are right off the watery ways. You can actually see it on the map here. There's a big body of water here. Uh And uh, uh, 
basically, so you're from here, by the way. Yep. And then you walked to here. Oh. Yeah, you yeah, walk over like, water. I probably should have mentioned that. You walk like over a large <laughs> strait of water. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, and then yeah, and then you just find like crabs in the water right here. Oh, crabs. Yeah, so you mostly eat. Crabs. Crabs. You okay. mostly Can you eat. put it back where it was? Uh, that's still in the way of your chair. Doing my best. Um, so you mostly eat crabs. That's that's right. success it. Like you get vitamins from a few other things. You, you do make some trade, but it's very infrequent. Think of like how the Atlantic research or Antarctic research centers do their like gotcha. stocks trades and all that. So um, there is one moment that you are remembering in this flashback when you were taken to some of the diamond mines, these crystal caverns that that dot the mountains of the landscape. And your master looks at you and he says, "Your eyes. The first moment that I ever met you." Well, my ghost met you on that mountaintop. I was amazed by how far you could see. Most people's eyes cloud after a few thousand miles, and the stars don't provide them any guidance or direction, but yours see not only farther, but I believe deeper. So let's try something here. I want you to go into that cabin by yourself. You're, let's say, 16 or 17 at the time. Um, I want you to go into that cabin by yourself, and I want you to find the nearest diamond. Sound like a task you can uh, you can achieve? The nearest diamond? Yeah. We just talked about I see farther and deeper. Yep. The nearest diamond. Mm-hmm. I want you to find the one that is closest to the entrance of the cabin. I s- s- all right, yeah, I can all right. do that for sure. Okay. Let's do it. Oh, one more thing. Okay. He blindfolds you. <laughs> I suppose that should have been expected. <laughs> he hands you your trusty pickaxe, and he says, "Now." <laughs> he says, "I don't. I doubt that you'll have any trouble. Just try this. Instead of using your uh, your humanoid eyes, instead of using your biological eyes." Use your celestial gaze. You don't have to know what that means, but remember the feeling you get when you look at the stars and go into that cabin. All right. Cool. So you walk in, and the moment, the moment that you enter the cavern, you start to hear what sounds like a shimmer, and then through your blindfold, you begin to see lights bouncing off the walls of the cavern. They're entirely in your mind. Imagine how, like, in Avatar The Last Airbender, Toph visualizes her world right. through Sonic, uh, just like being able to tell through those, those... Yeah, exactly. Um, you are seeing exclusively the magic energy of the gemstones in the cavern. What? And your custom perk is Dungeon Constellations. Here it is. What? That sounds dope. Anytime a party enters, the party enters a dungeon, Aegon rolls survival five times to see the reflections of magic along cavern walls. You also get a free bonus um, per your level. So you get plus one regardless of your outcome of these rolls. Each of these is what's called a glint for a little game that you get to play. Here it is. At the entrance to any dungeon, I will give you options for where you can travel. Most of the time, it is forward, backward, left, and right. Sure. And at any intersection, I will then ask you to make another choice. 
But any time that you hit a wall, you use up a glint and get to keep going. By the time you've used up all of your glints and then hit a wall again, you will stop. And as a reward for your understanding of the depths of these caverns and the magic that sort of calls out to you from them, I will, with the map that you've drawn yourself on your piece of paper, which I'm giving to you now, um, you will be revealed where all of the standard deposits of gemstones are. If you happen to hit the ends of the road where this they are, an they exist. Paper. Yep. So oh, it's because I'm using my eye. <laughs> so it is deposits, which is where you get your gemstones, are always revealed. Secrets are never revealed. I'm not going to let you know that there's like a secret wall behind this wall and there's like a room inside of it. That's something you as a party might get to discover yourselves. But let's go ahead and play. I've got this dungeon that you're about to enter, and I want you to roll survival five times. So you said I get a bonus because of my yeah, levels. I'll just give it to you. At the Do end. I add plus one to this roll? Oh no, I no, you just like get one. Oh, success. I get at least one. Blank. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, we have a nineteen. Okay. Just give me all the numbers. Nineteen, eleven, nineteen, seventeen, uh, nine, and four. Okay. So. Um, the DC that you're trying to hit is dependent upon the level or the difficulty of the dungeon. You sense. qualified four times. So you got four glints. It is time to see the dungeon. Take your piece of paper. Your starting direction is forward. Okay. Uh, I assume I am at a crossroad. Choose, choose a direction. Right. You go right. Choose a direction. I'll go forward from there. You do. Choose a direction. Left. You hit a wall. Bummer. Uh, then forward again. You hit a wall. Great. Right. You find a dead end and hit a wall, and there is a plus zero deposit there. Cool. Okay. You can go back to any previous node and continue. I told you it's a dead end. Right. It does use up a glint, um, so you have one glint remaining. Um, and after that, so you basically have two lives, essentially. Uh, so, you can go back to any node and choose any other direction. Gotcha. Okay, so I'll go back to two nodes ago. Okay. So, back one and then... Yeah, I can just look in your back. Okay, great. Uh, and I'm going to now turn right from where I'm facing, so go north of here. Okay, you do that. Awesome. Uh, I'll continue north again. You hit a wall. Bummer. This is your last life. Well, then I've, I've got to go to the right. You do that. And then forward. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, that is all. I would have just told you this previously. That is a dead end, and there is a deposit there as well. Oh, uh, great. So, you now, without looking at all, can, if you wish, keep your blindfold on, walk through the dungeon, and get to one of these deposits. You said it's a plus zero deposit and a plus one deposit? Plus zero, plus zero. They're both plus zero. Oh, okay. Can I continue searching? You are... This represents your capacity to hear or see what oh, okay. the stones are telling you. Any other nodes can go anywhere else. You don't know. Gotcha. Well, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, do, I'll go in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's you do got it. your blindfold on. Where do you go? So I go forward. Okay. You can just like just tell me where you end up. Uh, this one. Okay. okay. I see. Cool. You mine it. Go ahead and just like you could roll mining, but this part's not important for your character right now. So eight, uh, eight. plus something. you get something. You get a you get a you get a, like a you're a level one miners. So you get a tier one diamond. Congrats. Yeah. Um, and then you bring it out, bring it out of the cave, and you hand it to him, Master Brenny. He says, 
That is very impressive. You know, the only divining magic that I've ever been able to muster in these caves is just to tell me how many gemstones are present, not where the closest one is. You were able to find it without even so much as casting a spell. I think you might have a gift. Well, I have to tell you, <laughs> I almost feel that by keeping you here, I am limiting your capacity for growth. That if there was more for you to discover, you need to be with those who are seasoned enough to be able to make use of it. I can only speak of the future, but I cannot explain something like this. But don't worry, I have a colleague that might be able to help. An old friend of mine from college, actually. <laughs> Her name is Zagria, and she should be over at the Celestial Conservatory, if I remember correctly. Why don't you go and say hi to her for me? I'm sure that this letter of recommendation will help you to get it. It's signed by yours truly, of course, and it should make it very clear the talent that you possess and that they should keep their eye on you. Okay. Yeah, I can do that for sure. All right. Um, uh, do you have a description? Zagria? I, I don't know what she looks like. You know what? I'm sure you're smart enough to figure it out. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> I, uh... Do you need me to do anything else before I go? No, don't worry. I'll be fine here. Yeah, I've got my crabs to keep me company. <laughs> I suppose that's true. And don't worry. I'm not worried about you either. After all, whenever you... You know, feel a little lonely. You can send me a message, and I'll hear it. <laughs> what? Don't worry. You'll learn it later. You'll learn it later. Okay. All right. I. All right. So. All right. All right. Do I get a? Do I get to? Do you have? Oh no! You a, don't get to take the Rainbow Highway over. <laughs> yeah, you gotta walk. It's. Whoa. We're talking about the Sapphire Scholars, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly on the other side of the world. <laughs> <laughs> right. As long as we're on the same page. Absolutely. Um, so you know I can't go through the Amethyst Kingdom, right? Ah, uh, yeah, you know, you'll find a, a friendly trader on the Ambrobag Alatera. You can just sort of ride with them. Well, I suppose that's more than I had. Well, I, uh, alright, I guess I'll be on my way. Um, am I, am I gonna come back here? Now that is an interesting question. Give me just a moment. He closes, okay. He closes his eyes. I'm twiddling my thumbs. For those of you not watching. <laughs> I have very large rock fingers. <laughs> the next time you return will be at a time when you've experienced great loss. Oh. But you will also have grown in such tremendous ways. And you'll be happy. And you'll have friends. Alright, yeah. I guess that's what I suppose it makes sense. And honestly, you deserve a lot. You know, you have some younger people that don't have to, you know, deal with all the old, you know, the, the, the back scratches and the cane, you know, the cables and the, like that. I haven't shelling your crabs for years now. <laughs> I suppose, I suppose that would be nice. Need some friends who can shell their own crabs. You still never gave me a back scratch. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Too bad. <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting. I feel like I definitely expected that. Right. So, 
Good luck. Maybe I am starting to see after all. I can tell you I will see you again. So it's not necessarily goodbye, but simply uh, until later. See you then. You walk out on the regular road down, you catch a ferry across to the Emerald Mainland, then you take a caravan, maybe you meet some people, whatever. It's not easy to get to the Amethyst Kingdom. They, you're allowed outside of the walled city, and, and so as you're going through the region, you can make it through, but you, there's always a little bit of unease for you. Um, you feel like you're actually weirdly more at home in the Celestial Conservatory than anywhere else because there are more others, more races that wouldn't be as common, like you, like Goliaths and Dragonborns. Um, and... Uh, you make your way. So you remember those last words of his? And as you're walking on the way out of his little dojo, you feel um, like a mystic hand giving you the best back scratch as you're walking away. Yeah. <laughs> that old man. And you hear, you hear in your head the words, this is absolutely the last time I'm doing this. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> you come back into yourself at the conservatory, and you're kind of just like feeling the back stretch right now. It's like it's still happening right now. Wow, that's really good. <laughs> so you missed a spot. Is this no, no, down, <laughs> left, yeah. <laughs> that's it. So this this uh, professor, oh sorry, uh, headmaster Zagria eventually steps back up again and looks over all the students and says. This year will be one of wonderful adventures for all of you, and my hope is that you will learn something, make a couple of friends, and ultimately find ways to seize your stars. All right, you may go and find your dormitories, and I wish you well here at the Celestial Conservatory. And that is where we're going to end our session. Woo! So, what would normally happen, what would normally happen, is we do what's called an experience points recap. Um, leveling in this campaign is going to be really interesting because it is so extremely sandboxed. Um, leveling is based on whether you can convince me that you did interesting things. Where do you want the recording to end? Later. Right. Cool. It's fine, it goes now. So, oh, yeah. this guy is a very rough reference table of the kinds of things that I'm asking you to convince me happened as part of your adventure. Now, normally, because everyone's experience as a party is collective and together, um, you would all be doing this together, and so that's what would happen. But I also don't want to punish you for the fact that these were all flashbacks, so I'm going to allow all of you to share key moments in your backstories in which you demonstrated a flaw or a character trait or where you had a key moment of influence or an insight and if you want to share those highlights from the story from today, I will convert them into experience points per the chart that's right here, um, which I actually need to get for myself. Hmm. Great, I have it. So, um, tell me, what happened? And let's see if we can add it up to, you're probably not gonna level up today, spoilers, but let's see if it turns into 100 points. I feel like making my uh, I feel biggest like maybe here. <laughs> <laughs> growth uh, point was the, the decision to uh, essentially surrender uh, okay. her friends and herself to yeah. essentially those who would kill them. Yeah, that yeah. is a really, really scary moment. Yeah. Let me, um, I'm going here, cool. I'm gonna, cool. I'm, I'm putting the numbers down kind of so I can just give you the final number, uh, just so you know. 
Because um, I don't want people to be grubbing like, well, you gave her four points, you gave me three points. You're all a party. You all get it together. So it's you want all of you to get as many points as possible. All right, what else? Um, I feel like I had like really poignant moment with um, choosing to back down from my father instead of continuing to argue. Okay, got it. Letting that happen. Yeah. Okay, I like that. Great. Next. I had the moment where I, I chose to leave the Opal Refuge, even though that's like where my mom wanted me to end up. That that hit a little harder than I expected yeah. to actually. I'm I'm like I'm I had I had a good time. Um, let's uh, let's do that. Great, great, great. Next. I'm writing a list. A list of things you did. I feel like I had the last chance. Okay, to... I sent my list to the group. I feel like I had the chance to last minute. Finally asked about my dad. And yeah. Kind of muster up the strength to do that. I'm glad you did. That's way more interesting, frankly. Um, and so I think that is definitely worth the points. What else? Um, my four things. <laughs> I roleplayed my flaw of no discipline by swagging on my I'm brother. I'm so happy you did that. <laughs> Absolutely bonus experience for that. Um, easy combat with the lizards. Okay. Uh, I developed my trait of why I like mining because I mentioned that it's discreet yep. instead of like other stuff, and then I developed my trait that I like to put rocks on my shield. Nice. I did. I did like that. Thanks. Okay, um, I've got your points I also here. had easy combat with the lumberjacks. You did. I think. Yeah, I did. I think for <laughs> me, like <laughs> establishing my character trait, like singing and telling stories, and yep. being like somebody who. Yeah, you didn't like sing a whole song, but you gave a lot. You gave a lot of like uh, depth to what the song was about. I I will eventually sing. I just need to be more prepared. Yeah, but some of one of these sessions, you will hear me actually sing. Detected a secret area? Uh, (laughs) I mean, kind of. Yeah, you you discovered a secret. I I would say, basically, discovered gemstones that were surprisingly close and yet also hidden. Um, with a blindfold on. With a blindfold on? Yeah. Also, I convinced what could be a several hundred year old man to give me a back scratch on my way out the door. <laughs> <laughs> By means of simply guilt tripping. Simply <laughs> guilt tripping. Impacted NPC's actions. Alright, I, I hear you. I hear you. Alright, I got gotcha. you. Let's go. <laughs> what else? Uh, so this may go with the last one, but I don't know. I, sure. Uh, I essentially like roleplay developed one of my character's core traits by mm-hmm. wanting to give myself up instead of allowing my yep. people essentially to suffer. I think you did a great I mean, job. I would think Ayla definitely qualifies for the affecting the political landscape of a specific area. <laughs> yeah. So the only reason I can't give like what full points for that is because like it had it wasn't it had in, to like, happen. It happened in the past, right. so it's kind of like it's like predetermined, so to speak. Um, I feel like we should. But I like the idea. No, 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 no. I'm with you. I'm actually with you on that. Uh, okay. Anything else? I mean, I, also, I think. Okay, go ahead. Oh, I, I mean, I developed my like whole eco-terrorist trait. Eco-terrorist. <laughs> very smoothly. Yeah. Very good. I am not a lawful good character. I know this. I think. I am strictly character. So, I, uh, in my own defense. I didn't exactly get a chance to. I one of my flaws is, in fact, my flaw as a character is I choose the most complex option if I can okay. instead of simple ones that would make sense, such as walking to the place. Right. I uh, generally intended to like go on my way because this was sixteen or seventeen years old. Whenever 
I did the mining thing, and he was like, all right, you're out. Um, I spend the next three or four years on the road. Okay. I, I, I mean... You meander. Yeah, I meander pretty thoroughly Okay. in the fact that I have no ability to just focus on the task at hand. Instead, yep. I must find a way to have a complex solution to this problem cool. of getting to this conservatory. And I said, I should get some money. So I joined a mercenary band, and then I went down, and then I fought in the mercenary band. Cool. And then I left and eventually made it to the conservatory. Yeah, Very similar, similar to that with my story. When like, cause my, I had like the criminal background. And so I, along my journey to the conservatory, yeah. I joined criminal gangs, especially like a tight end with her backstory with the um, Emerald Insurgents. Nice. Yeah, no, I, I actually, I feel that. Um, any other highlights? Um, I feel like I could make a point for getting a couple of points for me for the affecting the, the political landscape because the um, the Ruby Empire did expand their territory by taking over mine. Sure, sure. I like it. Very cool. Okay. Um, so, disclaimer, I'm going to give you your final number from today's session. Um, it's Today's going to be unlike any other session because so much of this was like... Scripted. Scripted. It's like we say it happens, and so it definitely happens. And so it's not like you roll for it. It's not like you really like had anything important to do. But I always want to reward the steps that you took to be interesting, unique characters that have flaws or that have dreams or that have like feelings. Um, and that is great. And so you are going to start your campaign next week with forty-nine experience points. Yeah. I, I think it's likely you level up in the middle of next session. Someone, okay. someone think of so one should we prepare thing for level two? We have to get fifty. Yeah, do we'll we just do like a five minute 50? break or something. I be thinking. Do you, do you want to convince me of one more point? Yeah. Uh, do you uh, you got? Um, so, I mean, we all learned new I, features. Boo! I weird. That was my effort. I felt strangely compelled by my own conversation at the beginning of my story mm. of like. Do you want to touch a star? Yeah. <laughs> I felt weirdly like... Yeah, that was good. Yeah. I, it was like, very good. All right, all right. Your response, yes your response to more than... Your response more than anything was... It had just enough oom for me to give you one more. Let's go! It was pretty good. You you listen to it back on audio, and I think I laughed because it was like it was it was obvious you really wanted to like yeah. both both Aegon and Loki. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, cool. Fifty. There you go. Fifty experience. I'll track experience. You don't have to do that because it's, it's a party experience. Um, dear, these are my requests for next time. Oh, and then like a few more disclaimers. Started late. We were driving up from Waco, and like, oh, no, no, no. you know, I wish I could be a lot more um, calculated with stuff like this. I'm dealing with six players and a new campaign with custom mechanics, um, and so I'm going to do my best to keep this on track. It is much easier to keep it to a three-hour limit when we are now into the sandbox element because I can just be like, you stop, right? I didn't want to, like, I didn't want to stop and be like, Logan can, Logan can come back next week and introduce this character. So <laughs> Thanks, guys. I appreciate your patience. It will not be that way in the future. Um, also, I would like to, like, um, what's the word? Sort of, like, passively ask if y'all would print out your character sheets if you can. Because, um... Even with the convenience of the DD Beyond app, it is still, we're still losing significant time with every single action you take. And today was the least interactive it will ever be. I will constantly be like, roll insight, investigation, well, perception. Might be a reason why like, we yeah. were less prepared because we didn't have the app out. 
because okay. it was mostly talking. Even if that's true, either yeah. practice with the app, um, set your phone to like do not disturb and don't lock itself, maybe. Um, or you guys are smart, you'll figure it out. Uh, but those will help to give us the ability to do more stuff. Because uh, every time we're waiting on a particular role, it does all kinds of stuff. And I want to do the fun stuff and get you experience. So, um, yeah. are, are we like, are you willing to let us get more experience with the app for the next session before you say, okay, we're printing character sheets? Or do you want us to have them printed by next session? Oh, I see. Uh, Secondary trial run and or. When I was setting up this campaign, my intent was actually that you wouldn't level until the end of a session, um, because you all have your own homework that you need. You then need to do, and it, it kind of kills our three-hour time block. If you level up somehow really early on next session, we'll use a brief intermission to allow you to do that, and we'll just do it via phones, and we'll figure it out. Like I said, I'm not making you print out character sheets. Do what you know will give you the fastest response times uh, to the action that taken. There are still some things that I need to make and give to some people. Uh, I have a design for contact cards that I'm literally just able to go, and then and there you go. Uh, and that's how we're going to do uh, those contact quests, which are, which are going to be pretty fun. You've got that. You've got that. You don't need anything. You only need paper. You just need blank paper. Uh, okay. So we're good there. And you've got a war pick. Got a war pick. So I think I've actually got everything I need except for that, so I'll finish that. And uh, I want to document the specific way that spells work, so that way we can start putting spells not on your character sheets, but on things you can pass to each other, yeah. right? Um, and that might be just as simple as little one-by-one -one index cards that I had you write on. I think it works. I honestly think it will work. Uh, and that's it. We are done. And I'm hungry. So I drew everybody's characters. Ooh, you're so pretty. pretty.